minute. Glad you were with us here on the show. So much to get to. It is a college football game day. BJ, I know you're excited about that. We'll get into a, a number of games coming up tonight. Tennessee opening on Thursday night. Ohio State playing on the opening Thursday night. So some big games out there. We'll get to those coming up a little bit later on the show. We'll hear from Jason Foster, former Walter Payton Award winner in 2007 from Georgia. And Clemson upcoming, Sean Quinn, head coach of the Savannah State Tigers, will join us. We'll talk about their opener against a certain college that shall not be named just yet, B.J. Bennett. I think we all know who it is. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, coming up with him in the final hour, Mike Griffith of Dog Nation will join us, uh, as he will each week throughout the fall, talking Georgia football in the final hour. So plenty to get to here on the show, including college football headlines, Florida State, Notre Dame coming up on Sunday night, BJ, and you knew they were going to. I mean, you saw Sanford saying they were going to wear Bobby Bowden patches uh, on their uniform, and you knew Florida State was going to uh, announce something at some point, and they are going to be, it is going to be Bobby Bowden Field, almost literally, uh, there at uh, at Dope Campbell Stadium. Uh, BJ, they're going to have, uh, I think, some Bobby Bowden signage over where the team runs out, Bobby Bowden, uh, you know, kind of signatures on the field. Uh, opposite the ACC logo, we're going to have uh, not one but two patches on the uniforms all season long. So uh, really going in and all out uh, to honor what is certainly their most legendary head football coach. Yeah, it should be very special. And you think about Bobby Bowden, uh, all that he accomplished uh, on the field, off the field. You think about his legacy, his impact, his influence. And he is Florida State football. When you think about the history of the program and you think about uh, all the things, again, that he accomplished. So, yeah, have seen uh, – you can, you know, see on social media the, you know, the jerseys and uh, the uh, renderings of what they're going to have Dope Campbell Stadium look like. So it uh, should be a very special scene honoring, remembering Bobby Bowden and uh, all he's meant to that university and to, and to college football overall. And you see this other news coming out of Tallahassee, BJ. You see this a lot of times in college football, and some people say, well, they're just – they're really undecided. And maybe you're playing some, you know, cat and mouse games with with Notre Dame. But this is Mike Norvell where you need as much positive momentum as well. And he said about the starting quarterback job, quote, we'll see who the starter is when he runs out there on Sunday night. Who do you think it's going to be? And if you're a Florida State fan, does that make you feel good about you've had all spring and now all fall and you still can't at least publicly commit to who's going to be your starting quarterback? Yeah, my guess would be this is a little bit of kind of gamesmanship to to not that Notre Dame's not prepared, but to kind of just keep Notre Dame from knowing you have a couple of different options. Of course, everybody knows about Mackenzie Milton, who uh, had great success at UCF, uh, broke all kinds of records, technically won a national championship per the NCAA, uh, had the horrible, horrible leg injury and has been away from football for two years. And uh, when healthy, he's, he's probably one of the best quarterbacks in, in the country. And I think there's, there's a little bit of an element of the unknown just because he hasn't played in a couple of years. But incredible, his story and uh, his, his playmaking resume speaks for itself. And then you have Jordan Travis, who was Florida State's quarterback last year. And the, the Seminoles were kind of limited with what they could do a year ago. But I thought he had some pretty impressive performances. I thought he played well given the circumstances. Uh, my guess would be, Kevin, you see both guys. Uh, I think that Florida State will probably play two quarterbacks, and maybe that keeps Notre Dame off balance. That's a lot defensively that you have to prepare for. And uh, Milton and Travis do, you know, do similar things but different things. So I don't know that I would view this as – 
Florida State doesn't know who its quarterback is two days, three days out from the game, or they don't know what the rotation is going to look like. I think they know, and they've prepared for that, and they're just kind of keeping it keeping it secret, so to speak, uh, I guess to keep Notre Dame waiting. And, and if you're Notre Dame, I mean, that is a pretty big deal. Like, who are you who are you preparing for? And I'm sure they've prepared relentlessly for, for both, but I think Florida State's trying to kind of keep the element of surprise there. But my guess would be Sunday night in Tallahassee, you see both. Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis, and this is this is kind of the new age, I guess, we're entering into uh, with college football, where you just don't say anything, right? I mean, when you talk about the depth chart, I know uh, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech is he does the above the line, where it's like these are just the guys that are going to play. It's not necessarily the depth chart. Uh, Florida State now, obviously, not announcing the starting quarterback. I actually want to say, uh, NC State, if you remember this, they're playing tonight against South Florida. This was a thing. South Florida said we're not even putting out a depth chart. And NC State says, well, if they're not doing it, we're not doing it. In fact, we're not going to put one out uh, the entirety of the season. So no longer going to do a depth chart, apparently, at NC State. I I think Dave Dorn had some really interesting things to say about it. Here's what he had to say. And when he's fired up like that, BJ, it is, uh, you know, kind of the age of where we're going in uh, in college football. But, yeah, apparently depth charts now might become – a, uh, a, a thing of the past in terms of getting the official uh, release before college football because a lot of teams are not a lot, but you're starting to see it grow that way where teams are simply putting out a list of players who are going to play and or not now saying they're going to put out a, not not going to put out a depth chart for the the media to consume and, and, and fans, et cetera. Yeah, and I think that is becoming more commonplace where uh, a depth chart is kind of something now you see on a on on a website, you know, a, a blog or a, or you know a beat reporter puts out. You don't always get the depth chart from the school, and then when you do, uh, sometimes it has situations like what Florida State has at quarterback right now, where it says Mackenzie Milton or Jordan Travis as the first team quarterback, and you have seen a lot of that. And I mean, understandably so. You know, it's 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 week one. It's the preseason. Maybe there are literally. Uh, positions where the rotational kind of share has not been fully established yet. So I'll buy that. But but going back to the uh, you know to the Florida State game against Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame you know has the has the transfer quarterback in from Wisconsin. Florida State's probably going to play both, and I would expect at least at this point, a couple of days out, to see kind of equal reps. I think you'll see some Mackenzie Milton, some Jordan Travis. Uh, you're probably going to have to score a little bit. Notre Dame has one of the best offenses in the country. Kyron Williams back at, 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 at running back, a very good offensive line. But, yeah, interesting because throughout the offseason, that's been one of the more high-profile quarterback competitions at Florida State. And now we're in September, and, and at least as of the second, there is not an answer yet. Yeah, and again, he's got a couple more days, and we'll find out what's going to happen there on Sunday night. Uh, Other news and notes around college football. We'll find out more about this uh, as we can throughout the show. But uh, Georgia head athletic trainer Ron Corson testing positive for COVID. uh, And under SEC rules, asymptomatic players do not have to quarantine after an exposure. Georgia approximately 90% vaccinated uh, vaccination rate. Obviously, you don't know who the other 10% are uh, among that team. And people say, what's the trainer? Well, the trainer, I don't know if it's, and this is probably the different rub, it's not necessarily the head athletic trainer, but the trainers have daily interaction with all the players, right? You go in for uh, pre-practice treatment, post-practice treatment, tape 
tape jobs, all that kind of stuff uh, to get you ready for practice or playing, you're going to have interaction with your trainers. Maybe not necessarily the head athletic trainer, but he's certainly around the team. So I'm sure they're doing contact tracing, et cetera, ahead of the, uh, the Clemson game on Saturday. We'll just have to wait and see what, if anything, uh, comes of this. And you wish Ron the best, but I, you know, I COVID is going to be a reality with with college football as it is everywhere else. You know, moving forward, and we've <clears throat> seen the <clears throat> policies. Excuse me, but I think testing is going to be very important. I think the the daily updates in terms of the test results going to be very important. Excuse me, but I think uh, you're going to see COVID can continue to be in the headlines, and uh, you 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 hope for the best. But I think constant testing will help provide clarity as we move forward into the season so there's just some news and uh, note situations there and again we'll see if anything uh comes of it ahead of the the game with with clemson and again i think uh i don't know how they're doing it for cross-conference games but i think obviously there's teams are doing testing and and they'll have some kind of eligibility situation uh before they get to this game coming up on saturday night as far as who's going to be out and who potentially will be available. Which again, I think it's going to be a wait and see with Georgia if anybody has to miss uh, the game coming up on Saturday night. We've got so much to get to here in this first hour. Again, a lot of thoughts from JT Daniels, Kirby Smart, Mark Rick heading into the season. We'll give you some of their quotes. Brandon Sudge of the Macon Telegraph will join us. We're talking Georgia Clemson with him coming up in about 20 minutes here on the show as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. Uh, we're streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com, also on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube page. You can catch us here on 3 and Out each and every day as well. We'll come back with more, taking a dog's perspective, heading into the season. A lot of hype and talk, BJ, about Georgia and that national championship. The national Great to be here with you on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, glad you are with us. Brandon Sudge going to join us in about 15 minutes here on the program. We're talking Georgia and Clemson, but a lot of uh, folks talking about the national championship uh, drive here in 2021. Uh, B.J. Kirby Smart uh, talking about the national, I asked him about the national championship expectation. If it's not coming on us uh, with the expectation of what are we doing? I don't look at it from the perspective of winning. I look at it from the perspective of what's important now, what are we doing now, and I know all the people in the organization, the administration, people in the state, people that love Georgia, the energy and enthusiasm they have, it's just a long overdue. I don't care if you won one a year ago, it's overdue. So that's the end game. That's the goal. That's what you're trying to work towards. Yeah, and, you know, you think about Kirby Smart and Georgia football, you think about pressure as a privilege, and I think you embrace the expectations. Uh, we've watched Georgia, and by Georgia I mean Kirby Smart, the players, even, you know, media fans talk about national championship football and what it'll take to get there this entire offseason, this entire preseason. And I think that is the expectation when you're at the University of Georgia. And the Bulldogs have been right there. I know I know it's 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 incredibly disappointing to lose a game in the national championship the way Georgia did, but you played Alabama in a in a excuse me, recent national championship game and you did not trail in in, in regulation. And it took one of the greatest plays ever for you to uh, lose in overtime. So I think Georgia has shown that it can be right there at a championship level, but what's the difference between being right there at the championship level and kind of getting over the hump and, and you know, breaking that, that, that stretch of history where you do have a national championship? That's a hard question to answer. And I don't know that there's a simple, straightforward answer where it's, oh, if you do this, you'll win the national championship. I think as a program, all you can do is sort of put yourself in position to contend, to compete, 
and sometimes it's a play here or there. Sometimes it's a matchup in the postseason. Sometimes it's, you know, a perfect throw, maybe the greatest throw we've seen on that stage. So I very much, Kevin, think Georgia is one of the teams that can win the national championship. They've shown that even coming out of the SEC where you have challenges seemingly every week and even in a season where you're probably going to have to beat one of Clemson or Alabama, we presume, to get into the college football playoff. I think Georgia can do that. I think that should be the expectation. And I think Kirby Smart's right when he talks about it. Look, I I think uh, Mark Rick kind of said something similar. He was asked on how Georgia can end the drought. He said, look, you just win the game that you need to win to get in, I guess. It's not rocket science. If you get to that game, the one that gets you in, you've got to win it. That's just how it goes. I'm sure they're doing all the right things. But just because you're doing all the right things doesn't mean you're going to win. Georgia was in the playoff. They were on the verge of winning a national championship. I don't think they did uh, anything wrong. It just got away from it. I think that's, uh, to me, part of it. And, and to me, kind of the perfect, not the perfect parallel, but a parallel of that would be Mark Few at Gonzaga, right? Maybe a little different because you're not a major program, but you've been Sweet 16, Sweet 16. And people are like, why can't Mark Few advance? Then he gets to the Elite Eight. Why can't they get to the Final Four? Then he gets to the Final Four. What's it going to take to get Gonzaga to win a national championship? Then they got there last year, and everybody going into that game is like, oh, Gonzaga's going to beat Baylor. And it just didn't happen. Does that mean Mark Few's got the program on the wrong trajectory and he doesn't know what he's doing? No, I think he just it's a process. And I think uh, for Kirby Smart, he talked about it, and I think Mark Rick talked about it. Look, how many times in Mark Rick's career – can fans now go back and look at and say, yeah, you had the team to do it, just as he said, the one game you really needed to win to make sure you do it, it just got away from you, and you didn't do it. And that's the difference. You've said this a number of times. The difference between being a great team and winning the national championship is awfully thin. And people get very upset at the awfully thin, that, that thin margin that they forget to say, look, it's a national contender. And BJ, I'm a firm believer of this. If your goal is, hey, we're going to win the national championship, and that's what we're out to do. If you're dissatisfied with coming close and being like, it's keep being in that position, and I, I, I firmly believe you're going to get one, right? I mean, it's one of those things. I, I know people talked about Bobby Bowden and Florida State. Hey, look, you're there. You're there. Why can't you get through? And it's like, just be patient. You're finally going to get it. And he did. Uh, I think there's a number of programs you can look at. It's like, keep putting yourself in a position to do it, which is what Kirby Smart's trying to do. And I think eventually it's going to break for you. Why? Because you're comfortable being in those games. You know what it takes to get there. It's a player two. And as you said, if Tua is a little more uh, inaccurate with one pass, and he was having a heck of a second half, uh, but if he's a little more inaccurate with one pass, nobody's even talking about this. Now, like, and again, you're, and that's as simple as boiling it down to one play. So... I think if I'm a Georgia fan, you got to stop with the, when is it going to be? Look, keep putting yourself in a position to win. I'm sure you would much rather be here than Tennessee going, we want to win a national championship too, but, oh, it's a long ways away from where they're going to have to build this program. Keep putting yourself in that spot, and I I think eventually it's going to happen because you will win that one game you need to win to make it happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, some aspects of winning a national championship can be circumstantial, can kind of depend on uh, things that are largely outside of your control. I mean, I know you could go back to the, you know, the two a throw and say, well, if you, you know, maybe we're in a different coverage or if you got to him with a pass rush. But, but to your point, I mean, think about this. If that pass is six inches a foot longer and 
and it's an incompletion. You're talking about a Georgia national championship and all of the things that we're saying right now, uh, Georgia can't win the big game. Can Kirby Smart ever get them over the hump? When is history going to change? You're not saying any of that because of a throw from Tua being a little bit off the mark. So Georgia played themselves in that season into national championship relevancy. And once you get to that point, it can be a play here or there that really might even just be beyond your control. And and think about some of the national championship games we've seen over the last 10, 15 years. That 2017 Alabama team is one of the best we've seen. So you could make an argument that, that, that just by the eye test, leading Alabama for all of regulation and losing on the final play might be a more impressive performance than some of the winning championship game performances we've seen because of who you were playing. And that's not making an excuse. I certainly understand the desire and the, and the burning desire to win a national championship. But I, I think sometimes when we say, oh, Georgia can't win the big one, we're not realizing that Georgia has put itself in position to be a part of these games we call big ones. The Rose Bowl, the SEC Championship, the college football playoff, the national championship game, what we're going to see on Saturday. And, I mean, even we've talked about this with Ben. You know, Georgia lost one game in 2002. They lost it by one play that, you know, Ben had the game winner over Thomas Davis in the end zone. If there was a college football playoff in 2002, Georgia would have been the two or three seed, probably the three seed, and they would have had a very good chance with David Green and Terrence Edwards and all those great defenders to win a national championship. So I think there's a difference, like you said, in being one of those teams that can win a national championship and kind of having frustrations that you haven't, I guess, realized your full potential and being everybody else. Because we've heard national pundits say this. You've talked about it. There are maybe or eight or nine teams that can win a national championship. And I mean every season, kind of consistently maybe six or seven, maybe it's less than that. But whatever the number is, Georgia is one of them. Georgia is one of those programs. And that's why the anticipation is so incredibly high for Saturday. That's why, I mean, we're talking about a game, Georgia and Clemson, in early September that has playoff implications. It's going to be 85 degrees outside, and we're talking about, you know, the new calendar year. Will Georgia be playing in the college football playoffs? So I understand the frustration, but I also think, all you can kind of do is put yourself in position. If you're a coach, if you're on the coaching staff, even if you're players. And, you know, it's the old argument I used a couple of weeks ago when we had this discussion, Kevin. It's if you want to really simplify it to one play, all right? A team's in the national championship. They're down by one. They have a field goal to try to win it. So if the field goal is off by a couple of inches, that program can't win the big one. That coach doesn't know what he's doing. Those players aren't clutch. If the field goal is good, and maybe it's even a wobbly kick that goes through, that coach is brilliant, this program broke through. So I, I, I don't think there's some mysterious kind of barrier preventing Georgia from, from winning a national championship. You've been there, and you use the Florida State and the Bobby Bowden parallel. Sometimes it just takes time, especially when you have two programs in Alabama and Clemson dominating the landscape. Yeah, certainly. And again, another quick quote uh, from JT Daniels. I think this is kind of funny just – uh, because of obviously the the area of the world we live in, and you know, you watch SEC Network, it just means more. You got you know Luke Combs singing songs all about every single team in the SEC, and we're going to put some South on you and all that kind of stuff. And JT Daniels talked about coming to Georgia the first time. He's like seeing all the Georgia Bulldog flags flying everywhere to experience what it's like for football to be such a main focal point. Loved it ever since I got here. Football is just another thing on the West Coast versus football being the thing here. Hashtag it just means more. That's all he was trying to say, right? It just means more. 
It does. I mean, it does. The passion, the enthusiasm, the anticipation, the excitement is off the charts. It's incredible. Now, I wonder how much of a distraction sometimes that can become during the season. I mean, Kevin, because think think about it. We've talked about this. There's obviously it, college football is is so special. You know, the SEC fan bases are so incredible and passionate. But, you know, think about it like this. Clemson loses to a top five team that has made six straight college football playoff appearances in week one with a dozen games still to come. We're going to say, oh, well, see, see, I told you Georgia was overrated. Georgia couldn't do it. When in reality, if you lose to a top five team, that that happens. I mean, Clemson lost to Ohio State. Uh, you see Alabama lose sometimes, rarely, but sometimes <laughs> on the big stage. I mean, you see LSU, you see Ohio State, you see Oregon, you see, you know, uh, Florida. Everybody lose on the big stage. So, I'm not trying to apologize for Georgia in advance. There's a very real chance they win this game on Saturday. But to all the talk about the passion and the excitement, I mean, I'll ask you, based on the fans you've talked to, if Georgia loses, how how negative will the reaction be if they lose to Clemson in week one? I think it'll be the fashion in which they lose will determine the reaction. If it's a field goal game that happens, you know, like you said, with 30 seconds left, I think a lot of people will say what we've been saying all offseason – if they lose, it doesn't change anything. You still got to win in the East. You still got to get to the SEC championship game. And if you do that, you're playing for a chance to go to the playoffs. That's, I mean, that's the reality of the situation, right? I mean, and so I, I now, if, which I, I, I'm not seeing that happening. But if it is, I think there will be other questions that 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 get opened up depending on how it plays out. So I, I think. To answer that before we've seen these teams play a game, it's kind of hard, but uh, I, I do think it's going to be how you lose will determine the reaction. Uh, because if it's 14, 17 points, I think people will say, is this a team that's going to go undefeated in the SEC playing like that uh, against a top opponent? Versus if it's late, you say, hey, one play, it's probably a different story. Nothing has changed. Win the SEC, and you're in, in the college football playoff. I, I think the overreaction in a close loss will be largely like pseudo positive. Well, I mean, what's well, that? I mean, I, Kev, think about this though. Teams lose and and win the national championship. I mean, sure. This is this is something we always talk about with Ben, the University of Florida, who has two national championships over the last twenty years and what three over the last twenty five years. They they've never had an undefeated season. The Florida Gators, with all the great teams and you know one of the you know great programs in college football history, they've never had an undefeated season. LSU won a national title with two losses. So I think you're talking about a big game, yes. A game that's going to tell us a lot, yes. A barometer game, yes. But I don't think it has to be viewed as the end-all, be-all the first week of the season. We'll come back. We'll ask our next guest some of those questions when we return. Brandon Sudge, Making Telegraph, will join us when we return. Right here on this Thursday, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, here on 3 and Out, Georgia and Clemson, just a couple of days away. And uh, joining us here to help us uh, join us, Brandon, welcome. How are you? Have me on. Hey, appreciate you coming on. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of news about uh, Ron Corson, uh, head head athletic trainer, testing positive for COVID. Obviously, the trainers are around the the football uh, players. What can you tell us about that? And is there any degree of concern about the the level of contact tracing there? Do they feel it'll be all right come Saturday? Um, so I think it's too early to kind of tell whether there's too much concern about it. Um, in his favor, it's the fact that it is 90% vaccinated at the least. Um, so based on the fact that vaccinations are so high, um, so I believe that the team 
doesn't have to do as much uh, contact uh, tracing unless somebody is um, showing uh, symptoms. Um, So if a player is vaccinated and they're not having any, okay. Um, But uh, so it's definitely unfortunate that it happened, but I'm not sure that that it'll um, affect anything on Saturday. Brandon, a couple with different perspectives uh, on some Georgia fans, some media who are saying this is a statement game. You're playing Clemson. You're playing a team that's made six straight playoff uh, uh, appearances. You need to win to be affirmed as kind of a national name. And you have others who are saying, well, look, it's a top five game, but if you lose, you can still win out and make the playoff. Is this a statement game to you? Or is this a game that, while big, isn't necessarily going to determine Georgia's season? It's exactly what you just said. It's a big game. It's a game of powerhouse team against powerhouse team. But it's something that we've heard from Kirby Smart, and we've heard from a couple of couple of other uh, guys this week. It's week one of the season. There are eleven games after this. And both teams are probably going to be in their conference title games, so it's going to come down to the end rather than what happened here to start. However, um, I do understand what people are saying in terms of it being a statement game. Um, I mean, it it obviously has a huge effect on confidence. It has a huge effect on um, how the team can improve at this point. But um, I think, like, so let's say the game is over and either team wins by, let's say, a touchdown or less. Both those teams are going to come out of that stadium having confidence about themselves because their schedule the rest of the way is not that difficult. So, um, do, like, on Georgia's end, do I think that a win helps them? Yes, but does a loss hurt them too much? No, because it's going to come down to the end. It's going to come down to the SEC title game. So that's just kind of um, how I'm thinking about it. Brandon Sudge, making Telegraph, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Brandon, how do you think here now a couple of days out, Georgia's looking to attack Clemson in this ball game from an offensive standpoint? You look at what Clemson has up front. Uh, too deep that rivals pretty much anybody in college football with the with the level of talent they have there. Uh, is this try to come out and establish that early with the run, or how, how do you think Georgia's looking to attack this Clemson defense? Um, so I think it can be a little bit of that. Um, I think uh, Georgia can always say, "Hey, like us as an offense, we pride ourselves on um, wearing an opponent down, all of that." But at the same time, I think Georgia fans are going to see. Um, a different type of offense going into this year. I mean, we had a year um, where all of us saw uh, Todd Munkin and the job he can do, but if you think about it, that's in a pandemic-shortened year. There wasn't as much time to build um, anything with him and uh, Daniels, and now I think that they've had a full off season to kind of get everything under wraps. I feel like Georgia will use its passing game in ways that we haven't seen in years. Um, So I think in terms of the opening game, I feel like Georgia will be able to get its playmakers out in space, and that's how they're going to have – that's how they're going to have success offensively. 
A lot of talk about Georgia's offensive line, Brandon, and you think about, you know, the injury to Warren Erickson. You think about uh, Sawyer and kind of moving positions. Clemson's defense, as Kevin mentioned, that defensive front, as good as it gets, do you think Georgia's offensive line can consistently uh, move the line of scrimmage against this Clemson front? Um, I do. Um, I do feel like that um, Georgia's offensive line with Erickson expected to be back um, I feel like they still have that experience up there. And um, and obviously in a game like this, it comes down to the line of scrimmages. It comes down to who's going to beat who up front. Um, and I think um, Georgia has a little bit of an edge offensively, but they have more of an edge on the other side. I feel like um, Georgia's d- defensive line can absolutely uh, shut down uh, Clemson's uh, rushing attack, and they can make the Tigers not totally a one-dimensional offense, but more one-dimensional than they would like. Um, So I feel like Georgia has an advantage um, at the line of scrimmage on each end. And, Brandon, I was going to kind of follow up as you flip it over – you're, you're facing a quarterback that you're obviously not going to see uh, too much of uh, down the rest of the way. A, a, a big 240, 50-pound quarterback. Is the goal just to keep him in the pocket, at, at the very least not let him get outside and, and become a pseudo running back at times in this offense? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, uh, I mean, I would say that's accurate. But um, I feel like the thing that Georgia um, has to its – to its advantage is the fact that they're not facing a Trevor Lawrence with all this experience. This is a guy who beat Boston College by a touchdown last year who lost to Notre Dame. Um, so I feel like there might be some – so let's just say that the nerves on his end might be a little bit more than, say, Daniels, who played, I guess, half a year last year. He's got a little bit more experience um, in Georgia's offense. But, yeah, um, I do feel like um, Ungalay, I don't quite know how to say his name, but I feel like he will um, be able to have success in the passing game. But can Georgia kind of contain the likes of a Justin Ross and, and all their playmakers while trying to keep him in the p- pocket? And if they do that, um, I feel like Georgia will find itself in a favorable uh, spot uh, by the end of the game. Brandon, in your mind, uh, so many players that have professional potential, uh, preseason All-Americans all over the place, teams that are similar in some respects, what's the biggest key to victory for the Dogs? Um, uh, I mean, obviously the cop-out answer here is either special teams or the line of scrimmage. Everybody is – going to say, like in a huge game, it'll come down to special teams and who can make this type of plays. Um, But I would say, for me, it's Georgia being able to find that balance in their offense, being able to um, not only run versus pass, but being able to kind of change it up in the pass game and get those intermediate passes, those deep passes. And and then those... uh, Drop off passes to the likes of a uh, James uh, 
Cook or s- 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 someone like that. Brandon Sudge, our guest here from the Macon Telegraph. Brandon, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Brandon Sudge joining us here on 3 and Out as uh, Georgia Clemson. Uh, your thoughts there, uh, BJ? I think he's kind of nailed it there. Uh, line of scrimmage. Uh, he said he thinks Georgia got the advantage, though, when they're on defense over uh, attacking that Clemson's offense. Where do you kind of uh, sit on that take? Huge test. I mean, I do think Clemson has the best defensive front in college football. I think we had a guest on this week that said they have, what, six defensive ends alone that have started games. And then you think about uh, Brian Brzee along the interior of the defensive line, who is an All-American as a true freshman. Uh, big, big pressure spot for the Dogs' offensive line. But, yeah, I agree with Brandon. I think it's a very good group. I think Warren McClendon uh, is is a very good player. I think Jamari Sawyer has the versatility. Uh, I think Warren Erickson being healthy potentially is 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 very good news. Uh, I do think Georgia will have to establish the line, though. And because of that, and Kevin, we've said this for a couple of weeks, I, I sort of think the anticipation of Georgia coming in and JT Daniels throwing it 45 times, I don't see that. Because I think early on Saturday night, you're going to want to try to set a physical tone and try to kind of get Clemson's defensive line on its heels a little bit. And in theory, at least, I know this is easier said than done, but in theory, you don't always do that coming out throwing the football. You get your offensive line in a rhythm and kind of take control of the trenches by running the football. So, yes, I agree. I have faith in Georgia's offensive line. I think it's a really good group. This is the toughest matchup you can have in college football. Uh, Look, you could win less than half of your battles and still have a very good effort Saturday night because of who you're going up against. But I'm excited for that matchup. I think Christian has said he watches football games at the line of scrimmage. Doesn't always watch the quarterback. I think Saturday night's a great night to do that in this game. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Jason Foster joins us next hour. We talk some Georgia Southern football with him. Also, Mike Griffith of Dog Nation will join us in the final hour of the program, as will Sean Quinn, head football coach at Savannah State. We'll talk about uh, their opener against uh, Valdosta State coming up this weekend as well. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. I know BJ is all geeked about Thursday night football. I mean, you got some big names in action tonight. You got Tennessee, Ohio State, number four in action uh, tonight. NC State, UCF won't exchange uh, you know depth charts. They're getting all uh, into it there. Boise State, Central Florida, another one tonight on uh, on Thursday night. So some a uh, good one. East Carolina, App State's an interesting one here on uh, Thursday night. But before we get to all that here in hour number two, BJ, eight runs in three games against the Dodgers. Not going to get it done. You get swept by the Dodgers. Even that being said, into the eighth inning, had a chance to win the last two, couldn't close the deal. Well, I kind of just want to sit back here and sort of let you provide some perspective because, yes, it's frustrating to be swept by the Dodgers. Not ideal. I think, what, you're at two games, and I think Philly's playing right now in the first game of a doubleheader. But uh, offensively, you weren't great, and I didn't have, you know, Ozzie there at the end. But where are you with Brian Snicker and sort of the bullpen usage? Because there's been a lot of a lot of frustration, I think, from fans. And uh, I, I, some of that's in hindsight. You know, it's easy to say you shouldn't have put Chris Martin in or shouldn't have left Luke in or should have brought Matzik out when it, when it goes the way it, it goes. And I think in the show meeting we were even referencing – Bullpens give up runs. It happens. So if you're so if your mindset is you're never going to give up a run, uh, you're not going to be happy, especially in a three game series where you score eight runs. But in your mind, 
where are you with kind of the bullpen identity and rotation at this point? Well, look, I'm I'm not as upset about the bullpen. I mean, I know the the Dodgers are they're they're a tough team. You didn't score enough runs if you're going to beat a team like that. Uh, people are yelling about Matzik here and there. I mean, look, was 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 Matzik going to go the rest of the season without giving up a run? I I, I don't think so. Obviously, uh, you know where my frustration lies with the bullpen. Less Will Smith. I still understand why. Uh, Richard Rodriguez has not been given an opportunity in a ninth inning just to see uh, what happens uh, in a high-leverage situation. He's gotten some high-leverage situations in the sixth and seventh inning, uh, but this is a guy that was a closer. I'll give him a shot. It's obvious, again, Will Smith just makes it too close for comfort, night in, night out. I think the rest of it is, look, Chris Martin, a guy who's been okay, uh, you bring in in a high-leverage situation and, uh, you know, he missed it with a couple of uh, couple of pitches uh, and a few at-bats to, to allow guys to get on base. But, look, these are difficult hitters. You can't just groove stuff against the Dodgers. They're not going to mess around with that. So, uh, look, I, I don't fault snit, Snicker to a, a, a just a T on this series. I think offensively eight runs in three games against the Dodgers is not going to cut it. I, I, it's not going to cut it in the postseason, and it's certainly not going to cut it now. So I think, from my standpoint, your pitching was okay for the most part. Drew Smiley's wasn't. Uh, your bullpen let a few hits get away at some inopportune times, but by and large, they've pitched very well for the last month. I think the to be the the byproduct is is you had a couple of one run games late, you weren't able to make it hold up, and you just did not score enough runs to beat a good team like that. Plain and simple. Uh, you, you know, I, I I think it'd be one thing if it was. What's about to happen now where you're playing Colorado and you give your – and maybe Colorado's a different animal with a, with the thin air, but it'd be one thing if you're blowing leads to Colorado. It's another to say, hey, man, the Dodgers just swept us. Well, how many runs you score? Well, oh, man, we gave, we gave one guy two and we gave another guy three. Was that not enough? No, not, not against that team. It's not. So I kind of put this series a little bit uh, on the offense as much as I do some, uh, some timely – outings there from the bullpen that, that, that kind of came back around. So where's your confidence level now with a, and we'll see, might be, you know, could be three games uh, later sure. today, but where's your where's your confidence level right now up two in the East? I still feel pretty good. I, I, I kind of equate this to what we were just talking about, uh, BJ. It's like, if if Georgia goes to Clemson and loses, does that mean you, you're, you're not confident anymore? Or did you just lose to a good team? Now, would – would I like to see the Braves win one? Yes. Do I like the fact that they got swept? No. But that's also probably the best team in the National League at the end of the day. The end, and you didn't score enough runs to help you win. Now, take those three games off the calendar. You now have 29 games left in the season, and 20 of those are against teams with losing records. I feel pretty good if this team can get it back on track, get the starting pitching uh, they've been getting, that they're going to turn this thing around. Now, it's awfully close with Philadelphia, and you'll get a chance to go head-to-head with them. But get the offense back going again against some teams that, quite frankly, aren't as good as you. Uh, probably aren't going to be as crisp with the pitching. Aren't going to run out of dominant back into the bullpen the way the Dodgers did. You should see some dubs coming up. Your next few games, you got, what, four with Colorado, the Nationals, and the Marlins. Time to eat, right? Time to eat if you're the Braves uh, on these next three series especially. We've got more to come. Take three around the corner. Jason Foster, former Georgia Southern uh, Walter Payton Award winner, will join us next hour as well here on 3 and Out. 
Hour two of three and out here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, we'll look at some of the football that's on just tonight. And there's a lot of it, B.J., a lot of intriguing football on tonight uh, around the college football world. Jason Foster will join us this hour as well. 27, 2007, I should say. Uh, Walter Payton Award winner there at, uh, at Georgia Southern. He'll join us in about 20 minutes here on the program. But, uh, B.J., it's 4 o'clock. Let's take three here on three and out. All right, hypothetically, I know we already had a take three question about weddings in the fall, but let's say hypothetically you had to go to one. Let's say it starts at 6 o'clock. Can you go to a college football game at noon and make it to a wedding that starts at 6 o'clock? Hypothetically speaking, if this were to potentially be a a problem for someone potentially on the show. Is the college football game in Miami and the wedding in, you know, Savannah? I mean, what... I think the, the the hypothetical situation that may be taking place would be the difference of about an hour. A, 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 an hour from the game site to the wedding locale. Game. I think that's doable. I think that's doable. I really do. Because a college football game barring overtime, and I guess that could be you know quite the, uh, quite the factor, but barring overtime, you're talking about three hours, three and a half hours. If you're an hour away, now, now traffic is traffic, is traffic but, but, but traffic is going to be an issue wherever you're coming from, whatever right. time, whatever you're doing. So I don't know that you totally account for traffic because A, you can't, and B, it's everywhere. So you kind of just... Just, just view that as what it is. But let's say you get done. Let's kind of split the difference. Three, three and a half hours. You get done at 3.15. You got to be at the wedding by 6. Now, this is an important question. The people that are going to the game, are they in the wedding? No. No, Not would not be in the wedding. So you are purely an attendee. So you can just show up, kind of slide in the back yes. quietly. You don't necessarily have to be super dressed up, or you can just kind of slide in, you know, drop the, uh, you know, drop the bowls off or the spoon set or whatever, and just and just kind of relax. I think it's doable. Yes, I think it's very very doable, and I encourage whoever theoretically we're talking about <laughs> to give it a try. In this total hypothetical uh, situation, a lot of this requires the game to kick off at noon as well. We'll have to see. Uh, in this hypothetical situation. Oh, oh, so we don't actually know if the game is kicking off at noon. In this hypothetical situation, not presently. <laughs> well, but there's a lot of speculation going on here. We're not talking about me. This is a hypothetical situation. I, too, think it's doable. And I also think if you're a few minutes late to the nuptials, as long as you're not jumping in front of the bride to get to your seat because you're that kind of late, it's fine. And if somebody's yeah, like, hey. not a big deal. Not not a big deal. I think if somebody saw you sneaking in, like, hey, bro, you know the wedding started at 6. What? I was here at 5.59. Why were you? Even if it's 6.05, if they haven't said the I do's yet, hey, saw you sneak in at 6.05. Oh, it's fine. I got hung up in traffic. You know the, the wedding's not going to start on time anyways. Weddings are like meetings. If the meeting's at 10 o'clock, it starts at like 10, 10. Because everybody's got to get their juice or their coffee or whatever. You're always waiting on Steve. who's like, hey, I was on the phone. I had to finish that phone call. Very important order was coming in. Can't make the meeting till. I'm going to start a few minutes late anyway. I think totally doable. Purely hypothetical. <laughs> Moving along. Take two. Is Zeb Nolan. The now starting quarterback at South Carolina. The coolest story already of the college football season. A guy who was not on the team. He was a grad assistant. He's now going to start on Saturday for South Carolina. 
Oh, by the way, his real name is Zebula. I would go with Zeb also with that. But apparently he's named after an old mountain man that his parents knew in North Carolina. Like, okay, so you weren't on the team, now you're the starter, and you're named after, quote, an old mountain man that your dad knew back in the day. That's awesome. I don't really hey, know hey, if there's a question. Named, hey, who are you named after? You remember that old that that old dude that like was 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 always kind of on the horizon. We don't really, you know, we don't really we don't talk to him. We don't know. He, that's who. That's who. I'm named after him. But I'm now, not. It, it, it really is something, Kevin. I mean, it almost feels like a movie because I can't think of another example of this. And and maybe there are people listening going, oh, I remember this one time. But you were a a, a grad assistant, like you were a coach. You are a coach slash becoming a coach and you are not on the football roster you are not a part of the football roster you did not come to south carolina to play football you came to south carolina to coach football now understand that this is not a guy that's never thrown a football played uh, at iowa state also played at north dakota state so he does have you know big program experience but the fact that in a couple of weeks this went there's a grad assistant too. Hey, he may be getting some reps. Keep an eye on him, but they're just using him to have an extra quarterback. You need to get some reps in practice too. Hey, he's moving up the depth chart. At least getting some opportunities with the first two. He's starting. He's start. Zeb is starting, and I think you feel like South Carolina will be able to win game one. I, I think Eastern Illinois maybe, but how long can can this go? I mean, you have to root for him. You have to pull for him. It's amazing and. His head's got to be spinning just with all of this, but it is a really cool story. It feels like a movie. I think Luke Doty, when healthy, is 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 the starter there. But uh, you know, next man up, you got to go to. Sometimes you got to go to kind of different places to make it all work. Yeah. So I think everybody's everybody's rooting for Zeb. Kind of take to part B here. After hearing the story of how Zeb got his name, what are the odds? And you could do it in terms of percentages. But what are the odds? that Zebulia might might have possibly been involved in the white lightning business. A little moonshine. A little Mountain Dew. An old mountain man named Zebulia, I think he may have been familiar with a still or two. That's all I'm saying. The lightning? Yeah, the white, the white lightning. lightning. Yeah. Okay. You've never heard it called white lightning before? George Jones made really a whole song about it. Kevin, I don't really know what you're talking about. Moonshine. Okay. I think I mean, I'm going to say like at least 80% chance that Zebulia probably made moonshine at some point and was okay, in the. I'll, look, I, I will trust your judgment. <laughs> All right, moving along. I'd like to get Christian's thoughts on this because I feel like he would have a good gauge of this as well. Take three. How many or how much in terms of hours as we've got football last night, tonight, all through the weekend, how much college football? are you going to consume over the next five days? I got to make a parallel here because uh, listeners that have been with us a while remember our buddy Matt Oz. And Matt used to do this thing that it was kind of interesting to me. I think it just baffled you, Kevin, where he would get pre-sick. He would come in and say, hey, man, you know, I, you know I'm feeling kind of – I'm, I'm going to be sick in a couple of days. And we're like, oh, okay. And it would, and it would happen. I'm pre-exhausted but because of what you have coming up. I'm excited – but I'm pre-exhausted because I know you look at you look at tonight, you look at tomorrow night, 
Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday with uh, Ole Miss and Louisville kind of finishing it all up. Uh, I think that it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a whirlwind. And at the end of it, we're all going to be looking around going, now what, what just happened? What in the world just happened? How do we process all of that? Because we've had months and months of anticipation, speculation, hype, this means this, this means that. And and you know half of these games are going to go in a direction nobody's anticipating. I mean, I think you could, I think Ohio State could lose tonight. So everything we think we know about college football, we're probably going to have to reset uh, uh, every every 24 hours. But I'm, I'm watching all of it, all of it, all of it. And it's going to be, it's going to be special. So do you think you hit the 24 hours of college football consumption. I say this because the next five days, there's only a possibility of 120 total hours of actual real lifetime. Do you think out of that 120, 24 of which, i.e. a whole day, will be spent consuming college football? Without question. Do you think you hit the 30-hour mark? I mean, at that point, I'm kind of running into some issues. (laughs) I mean, 24 is probably about the extent of my ability, but yeah, I'm going to be in it for the long haul. There you go. I'm thinking. I'm thinking probably because I have children uh, that want to go outside from time to time. I'll probably hit the 12 to 18 range, and I won't get to watch Friday night because we're doing high school football. I'm not upset about that. I mean, we're doing high school football, so I don't get to consume on Friday nights the way some people do uh, with with college football. But yeah, certainly tonight, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, I'm all over. It. All over it uh, for the opening you, weekend. You got to run through your Saturday suggestion that you've already shared with people, where you have time for a nap. You have time to kind of doze off before the start of the night. You got to reset that for people. Yeah, I really think you do the, uh, you know, get the honeydew list. You sit, come in for lunch, and you start watching the 12 o'clock games. You start watching and find you a good one to watch. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. This is the dice you roll at 12 o'clock. Then the 3.30 games start. You take you a nap then. And you go, what about the good? No, the 3.30 games start heating up about 5 o'clock, 5.30, getting that second half. So if you fall asleep, during first half of some of those 3.30 games, you're fine. You wake up, you feel refreshed, you get to the end of the 3.30 games, you get you some dinner, you get you a little caffeine uh, jolt or what have you going, and that really sets you up for the home stretch. Now, do I think you can, you know, make it to the Hawaii trek? Some of the, uh, you know, Washington State games that are coming? No, I I still don't think I can do that. But could I guarantee that I make it to the end of Clemson, Georgia? Yes. Because I got to say, in my older age, uh, running around with kids, man, you get to that 1030, it's, it's not so much that I'm tired, but, like, you can't sit down. If I stay standing up, I'm good. But if I sit down and, God forbid, if I throw the legs out in the recliner, man, it gets it gets iffy at it's that over. point. It's over. Ball game. <laughs> That's take three. We do it each every day this time. We'll come back. Jason Foster. Georgia Southern Legend 2007 Walter Payton Award winner will join us when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Opening up uh, the season this Saturday against Gardner-Webb and uh, joining us here on the program, former Georgia Southern Legend 2007 Walter Payton Award winner Jason Foster joining us here on 3 and Out. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, appreciate you coming on, and I, I know a lot of folks excited about Georgia Southern getting back to full capacity uh, there in Paulson this year. But uh, speak to uh, just the anxiety, excitement, what have you, before you're playing the first game of the season, whether it be against uh, Gardner-Webb like they are this week or someone else. Oh, yeah. I mean, the atmosphere is going to be electrifying. I know 
fans are definitely ready to get back in the stadium. I'm sure the players are ready to play in front of fans at full capacity. So I can imagine the energy in the, you know, in the players. So I'm excited. I think the fans are excited. We're just ready for some football. And Jason, you're going to see some young quarterbacks uh, play this season, early this season in this game. You obviously one of the best to ever do it. Uh, when you're a young quarterback, when you're a young player, what's the biggest key to being successful out there? I mean, I think the biggest key is going to got to be composed. This game's not going to go the way you think it is every time. There's going to be some ups and downs. Um, but I think if they follow the game plan, and I'm sure Coach Lawrence and them have a great one for them, follow the game plan, hold on to the football, in the end, I think we got enough talent. All the games will turn out all right. Jason Foster joining us here on 3 and Out. Now, I know in the first couple of games you're going to be without what you thought was going to be your starter. Just speak to your first game coming in. You know you're going to have an inexperienced guy uh, there at quarterback. Maybe you know the system, but just first game, what do you expect from a guy making maybe their first starter? What was your first game like when you walked out there in the huddle? Was it, was it nervous? Was it, I got this? What do you think they'll be feeling come Saturday? Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd definitely be nervous because you want to do everything right. I mean, Georgia Southern has a great history of quarterbacks, and obviously with Shy lead them last year, and, you know, Justin's going to be out the first two games. You want to make sure you go in and, and, and compete and do the right thing, but I think you're going to have jitters at first. You might get a few play calls wrong, but after about a series or two, I think they'll be ready to rock and roll with whoever they go with. You look at this schedule, and we've talked about this all off season. I mean, you have – Arkansas coming up. You have Louisiana, who's ranked in the preseason top 25. You have Coastal Carolina, who's ranked in the preseason top 25. You have App at the end of the year. Uh, talk about this opportunity to play a national schedule and really step into the spotlight here right away. Right. I think that was the, the reason to move up to 1A football. These are the games and the schedules you want. Uh, you want to be able to compete with the best. And I think this year definitely poses that challenge where, like you said, you got all these games. You play a lot of guys on the road. You're going to be on national TV a couple games. So I think from a from a organizational standpoint with Georgia Southern football, this is a great opportunity for us to showcase what we can do. And obviously it helps with recruiting as well. Jason Foster joining us here on three and out. Obviously the seventh year in the in the Sun Belt. How have you uh, seen this team transition? Obviously from when you were playing up through the transition and now into the Sun Belt where they hear where they sit seven years into it, uh, how have you kind of watched the transition take place? And, and what do you think of that transition now that they're kind of fully through it? Right. We've done a great job of transition. I know you had your ups and downs and coaching changes, but overall I think we, we've transitioned well. We, we've got the talent to come in. The stadium has been upgraded. The fans have been enjoyable. They're loving it too. So I think overall I think we're kind of be the, the model citizens to show you how to upgrade or, or, or go, up, go up in classifications, so to speak. And I think the coaching staff is all in on it. And now I think it's just we just got to go out there and perform. And you think about the history and tradition in Statesboro. I mean, guys like you and AP, and you think about six national championships and all the big games, and now you're adding bowl games to that. I know Georgia Southern would love to, you know, add a conference championship out of the Sun Belt. Uh, what's it like watching this, this, this tradition of a program that's still relatively young just continue to evolve and uh, just, just add more and more history to a program that's already accomplished so much? Well, again, I think it's just opportunity. Opportunities knocking. Um, adding bowl games and bowl victories are going to be key. Winning some Sun Belt titles, getting back up to the top of that, is another key for us. I think once you do that, you can build on the legacy of Georgia Southern football. You keep stacking up trophies and wins. It, it, it's just better for everyone. 
Jason Foster joining us here on Three and Out. Obviously, you see uh, Georgia Southern now going out against the likes of of Arkansas, BYU uh, coming to Paulson Stadium. I know Georgia Southern obviously uh, really got a lot of notoriety off beating Florida. How do you think that helps develop a program? I know folks look at it a number of ways and say, look, those are games that are going to be tough to win uh, consistently. How do you think, though, it helps develop a program when you go out and schedule those type of games uh, pretty regularly on the, on the schedule year to year? Right. It's vital for programs that are up and coming, you know, since we moved up in classifications. I think from a player standpoint, you want to play against the best, and right now we can say we've done that. I, even from years when we scheduled Alabama, we haven't played Georgia in a while, but this year we're playing a lot of ranked teams. So I think that's the opportunity is, again, knocking for us. And when you do that, I think the excitement has to build around the around Statesboro in general. You always got a chance to knock off a big guy. And, um, you know, with the schedule we got, and for the future I think we're going to keep having these games. So we just got to get ready and be prepared for it. Looking back over your record-setting career, uh, Jason, what stands out when you look back on your time at Georgia Southern? I think we were close. We we didn't win a championship when I was there, but I think we I think we had some key times that we could have done it. I know kind of coaching changes a little bit from year to year, but I think overall I I think we did a great job and we set the tone and set the bar um, from a unit. Offense played well, defense played well, and we steadily got recruits in. So and I look back as a great experience. You know, though we didn't accomplish what I set out to do or we set out to do, so to speak. But I think we left the legacy there and something for everyone to live up to. So what's next for Georgia Southern, Jason? Uh, you think about, again, all that history and tradition, uh, the opportunities on the schedule for this fall. As one of the great program uh, players in program history, what do you think about when you think about Georgia Southern moving forward? I think we're next. We need to be dominant of the Sun Belt. I think when you think about Sun Belt, I, I hope to get to the point where Georgia Southern names comes up first, kind of like when you thought about the SoCon and in one AA football, it was Georgia Southern and everybody else. So once I think you secure the Sun Belt, um, you, you know you become a Sun Belt powerhouse. I think then you can move into the national spotlight of getting games, kind of like Coastal Carolina did last year. They capitalized on the opportunity. They won some big games. Um, you know, I'm sure they're going out to try to repeat it this year. But I think as Georgia Southern moves along, once we you take top, you know, take the top of the Sun Belt, I think we can definitely be in the national mix and be missing an early preseason top 25. And once you get there, then you know the sky's the limit. Jason Foster, Georgia Southern legend, joining us here on Three Now. Now Georgia Southern, if you look way down to the end of the season, they got Appalachian State the last game of the year. Is that something you'd like to see stick and play App State last every year? You know what? I don't care when we play them. Um, I'll be there excited, but I think it it does it is a fitting end for the year. You know, you can you can make the best of it, knock them out of the playoffs or whatever hunt they got going on. Take the title out of them. Um, they can do the same for us. So I think having them in a prime time game with such meaning on it and all the marbles on the line, I think is a great. Is, I think it's great. Jason Foster, our guest here on Three and Out. Jason, appreciate the time. Thanks so much, man. Thank y'all for having me. Jason Foster, our guest here, 2007 Walter Payton Award winner, joining us here on the program. Georgia Southern Gardner-Webb coming up on Saturday. And again, Chad Lunsford basically saying, we'll see who, he kind of said what uh, we talked about with Florida State, basically saying, we'll see who the starting quarterback is uh, when, when we run the guy out there to start the game.
And I think people hear that sometimes in your in your first reaction is they don't know who their quarterback is. No, they know you don't know. That's the idea. It's not that I like, like I don't think you're looking trying to figure out a depth chart or kind of what you're going to do, what your plan is a couple of days out. No, you're just hey, you're you're going into the season opener. There are some there are some unknowns, and I think. You'll see, like with Florida State, I think you'll see a couple of quarterbacks play for Georgia Southern. But, but Kevin, this schedule—I mean, getting Jason's perspective on it—one of the best to ever do it. I mean, you look Florida Atlantic, uh, who plays Florida on Saturday in Week Two. Then it's at Arkansas. Then it's Louisiana. Then it's Arkansas State. Then later after your bye week, you have Coastal Carolina coming to Statesboro. I didn't even mention that you have BYU coming to Statesboro, and then you're talking about Appalachian State. Uh, at the end of the year, maybe snowing up there. But I, I, this is an incredible schedule. Challenging, yes, but the national opportunities are there. And I think Georgia Southern is going to be a part of the kind of national storylines one way or the other. A real chance to make a move, maybe even get into the top 25. But you're going to play some teams that uh, that spotlight when you line up is going to be right there. Are we undervaluing this Eagles team? I know, by and large, they've been picked down towards the bottom of the East. I know that means Coastal Carolina is very good. App State's very good, but are are we undervaluing this team? With again, JD King coming back should be a big boost to their offense. Defense they look very solid. Are we maybe not giving them the the credit they are due? Yeah, I think that's fair. And you know, chatting with Danny Reed, he was talking about look, there's just so many good teams in the Sun Belt, especially in the East. Uh, when you think about Coastal Carolina preseason top twenty-five, you think about Appalachian State right there. You think about, I think Georgia State brings back 20 starters. I think Troy brings back 19 or 20 starters. And then you go over in the West, and Louisiana has been one of the national stories for a couple of years now. So, yeah, I think I think people are overlooking Georgia Southern, but I think, I think that's something the Eagles kind of use as motivation. You're a program that's been one of the best programs in the Sun Belt. You've been to the postseason. You've won big games. You have incredible tradition. If people want to overlook you, well, I, you can do that. But – Teams that want to win a championship are going to have to come through Statesboro. When you look at this schedule, and I think Georgia Southern is is motivated. I think Georgia Southern's well-prepared. I think they're excited. And look, if people are overlooking you a little bit, I think that's something that can only help motivate you. But yes, are people uh, fully not fully appreciating the Eagles and what they're capable of? I'm with you. I think that that is the case this preseason. We got a lot of football to talk about still on the show. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, will join us. Sean Quinn, head coach at uh, Savannah State, will join us coming up here on the program as college football is back in a big way in just a slew of games tonight. More tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, we'll look at what we got on the docket tonight when we come back, including some potential upsets out there uh, on the schedule. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you on this Thursday, college football. The buffet is just to start. I mean, we we barely just got the appetizers in last night, BJ. Now it's like, hey, they're bringing you the bread, maybe a little soup uh, here tonight before we get to the weekend. But some some good contests tonight. Actually, some big-name teams playing on Thursday night. I mean, I got to say, Tennessee, Ohio State playing on a Thursday night. That doesn't happen very often, much less to start the season uh, on a Thursday night, although – Ohio State is starting on the road. But you got some pretty good contests tonight, just to name a few. Boise State, Central Florida, a good one. South Florida, NC State, one that the Wolfpack need to win uh, if they want to kind of put themselves in the, the, the spotlight of we're an ACC program trying to rise up and compete in, in the Atlantic. A lot 
of Southeast Georgia guys on that NC State program on that squad as well, BJ. So you've got that East Carolina App State in Charlotte as kind of a precursor to the Dukes-Mayo Classic with uh, Georgia and Clemson this weekend. That's a good contest. And you said earlier on the show, Ohio State-Minnesota. Don't overlook that one. P.J. Fleck, Minnesota, game one for uh, Ohio State, new quarterback. Is this a chance that Ohio State gets in a uh, a dogfight and possibly gets upset? Well, and that would be, you know, huge news college football right away, shake up the standings, and how would that potentially impact Georgia, even if they were to lose, or Clemson, if they were to lose, what would the national polls look like? But I think that's a game to, 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 to keep an eye on. I mean, Kevin, you talked about this, how very rarely do you see the SEC, for example, have a fairly high-profile season opener be a conference game. Well, Ohio State's on the road at Minnesota tonight. You have a young quarterback. I think C.J. Stroud is a redshirt freshman. Uh, of course, you're Ohio State. You have NFL talent all over the field. I think Chris Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson are two of the best receivers in college football. Uh, defensive guys are going to be first-round picks. But you have to go on the road in week one with a new quarterback. And I think that's, you know, when you start talking about the recipe for an upset, that's what you think about. Is it early in the season? Yes. Are you on the road? Yes. Do you have a new quarterback? Yes. And I think Minnesota, you know, Tanner Morgan at quarterback, Muhammad Ibrahim at running back, they have some really good players, NFL players. Uh, Ibrahim had over 1,000 yards rushing last year. So I think you have playmakers. Uh, I think – and I think that, that there's a chance this is a lot closer than people think. Uh, they're, they're always unknowns. I mean, is that a fair way to put it, that when you have a week one game, uh, even if it's the same team, maybe the confidence collectively or, or sort of the cohesion isn't fully there? I mean, things get, get interesting in week one. Now, am I, do you want me to call it? You know, we were saying it there in the break. Hey, are you going to – I don't know that I can do that. I'm not going to come out and say – You don't feel Ohio that good State about it? Will, no, I'm not going to say Ohio State will lose to Minnesota because then we'll hear that on replay for, 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 for the next 20 weeks. I know that's what you want. No, I, but I think it's going to be close. And Ohio State, if you are going to be a national championship contender, you're in the top five. We talk about Georgia's expectations. Uh, if you're if you're P.J. Fleck, if you're – uh, 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 Minnesota, you're looking to pull the upset. Well, if you're Ryan Day in Ohio State, you feel like you are a team that can deal with situations like this, where, yeah, you're on the road, you have some young guys, but you're the Ohio State University. You're going to win this game. You're going to win uh, comfortably. So I think that's a fascinating game out of the Big Ten. I mean, are you following me? Do you think there's a chance? Is this close tonight? I think if you're going to get Ohio State and you're kind of a middle-of-the-pack team, this might be the opportunity to do it. Uh, I think certainly the Penn State's, maybe a Michigan, some of those teams meet the criteria to potentially do it later in the season. But, yeah, if you're a team like Minnesota, I think this would be a, this is probably the best time you could play Ohio State. New quarterback, uh, First game uh, for him, trying to go out there and get it done. Look, I, I, I think that might play into your favor a little bit, but I'm certainly not with you and feeling good about calling the upset uh, potentially uh, happening. I think I could, just said I'm not calling the upset. What I, I literally just said I'm. See, you're trying. You to, won't call it, you're but gonna, you're like, oh, this is uh, like off the air. You were like, oh, I think I think I think it's going to be close. That's what I just said here. I think it's going to be a close game. I, I I'm not calling the upset because I don't think the upset's going to happen. Do I, I want the off-air conviction on air. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> let's move on because you'll argue this one for the rest of the show. But what about uh, – let's, let's move on. NC State, South Florida. Interesting matchup there. 
uh, between those two teams. I think NC State is a team that, with Dave Dorn, one of my favorites, uh, is trying to elevate that program to say we can compete. I mean, and again, BJ, if you want to talk about mysteries uh, that you see throughout uh, college athletics, NC State, 65-70,000 seat stadium, rabid fan base, loves football, have never been able to continuously put themselves in the upper echelon of the Atlantic Division, which to me has been kind of a mystery because that is a that is a program that is willing to put the resources in for them to compete, and they just haven't been able to consistently do that. Obviously, you don't want to start off with an opening loss to South Florida. No, that would surprise me, and and USF is uh, rebuilding. Jeff Scott down there, I believe this is his second year rebuilding, but I think – you look at NC State, to me, they are the they are the number two in the ACC Atlantic. Now, they get Clemson in a couple of weeks in Raleigh, but we're a ways away from that. I'm with you. Come out tonight, look the part, win comfortably, and I think that will validate some of the preseason storylines. I mean, I really like this roster for NC State. You have a, you know, a, a quarterback in Leary that I think a lot of people are excited about. You have proven production at running back, wide receiver, defensively, a couple of All-American candidates at linebacker. And, and you are right. You know, NC State's one of those teams where at the end of the college football season, you're looking around going, did they – yeah, they won that one game, but they lost one they shouldn't have. And if they can take care of business in the games where they're supposed to take care of business, I think this is a team that could find itself in the top 20. Uh, I think there's a lot of lot of talent, a lot of experience, one of the most experienced teams in the ACC. You think about what they did last season, beat Liberty, uh, beat a Liberty team that that beat Coastal Carolina in the bowl game. So, you know, Liberty with Malik Willis, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So can NC State play with Clemson? That's a different question. I think that's a question that we're going to have to wait and see. And, Kevin, before I'm not calling NC State's beating Clemson either. I'm just saying that NC State, I think, in the ACC Atlantic, I would even give them the nod ahead of Boston College as the top contender. We don't quite know what we're going to get out of Florida State. So I think NC State is a, is a number two for me in the ACC but I don't expect them to have. Uh, I don't expect them to have any any struggles tonight. Let's hit one more that's going on tonight. I find it interesting. We'll hit a couple more on the uh, the flip side of this next break. But the debut of the the foot on the gas offense at Tennessee against Bowling Green. Now, if it's a cluster against Bowling Green, obviously you know what everybody's going to say. Well, if it looks this bad now, what are you going to do when you're playing an SEC defense? What do you expect to see tonight from the Vols in an opener debut for? For Josh Heupel, they're on Rocky Top. I mean, With- one of the more interesting teams in the country, when you think about Tennessee, where Tennessee has been, what the expectations are. Uh, and, and, and look, you're a traditional SEC power. I think we can look at it and say you're rebuilding. It's going to take a couple of years. Fans want to win and want to win right away. I, I, I think they'll win comfortably tonight. I mean, Bowling Green 0-5 last year. In a, in a shortened season, uh, Tennessee clearly has questions defensively. Lost, what, over 30 players to the transfer portal? But you're still the better team here. And if Tennessee's struggling in this game, I would be very surprised. And that's even with the roster turnover, the limited numbers, the new coaching staff. But you mentioned this. I mean, a couple of the Tennessee guests we've chatted with, I, I – I think you're going to see some some inconsistencies with the offense when you're trying to hit the reset button, and now it's going to be go, 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 go. And you saw that at UCF, and it worked great. But when it doesn't work, I mean, you've talked about this. If you're if you're moving down the field and you're and you're not wasting any time, that's one thing. But if you go three and out, all of a sudden your defense is back out there again in a hurry, and that could happen time and time again. So I don't think we'll see that tonight. 
Uh, I think there's reason for modest optimism in Knoxville. I think Coach Heupel brings, you know, an impressive resume to town. I think you have options at quarterback. Milton, the Michigan transfer, wins the job. Uh, excited to see what he can do. You have Hooker and Bailey as well. Uh, so I think you will probably see multiple quarterbacks tonight. But if they win tonight, is that a step towards contention in the SEC East? No. I think if you're Tennessee, you take it one game at a time, and I think they should feel comfortable with a multi-score win tonight. We've got more to come. We'll come back and look at some more of these games tonight because there's a lot of them, and a good night for college football uh, getting things started as well. We'll come back. We'll break down some of the rest of these games here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here on this Thursday, Kevin B.J. here on 3 and Out. Still some more games. Again, just a host of games tonight on Thursday night. B.J., it wasn't that long ago where you'd have like one game. It was always South Carolina, Arkansas or something like that on Thursday night, and that was it. Then you'd have to wait till uh, Saturday. No, now it, you, it was South Carolina, Mississippi State oh, every season. You are, you are, you're correct. I apologize. Uh, now there's, what, 13-some-odd games tonight? More on Friday, and then obviously you get to Saturday, Sunday, and Monday for the Labor Day weekend uh, with all these games. But several tonight, one to get to, UCF, Boise State in Orlando tonight. And that is one where now you're hearing you know, grumblings about the Big 12 wanting to expand UCF, one of those programs potentially that might be a Big 12 member in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, that's something. When you think about the Big 12 and when Texas and Oklahoma left to the SEC, there was a lot of speculation, okay, does that mean – the Big 12 is done, and now you look at some of the reports that have come out. You're talking about the remaining members plus potentially Central Florida, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU. I mean, that's a that's a pretty impressive collection of teams. And we'll have to wait and see, you know, what the what the next kind of progression here is or what the timetable is. But you know, UCF. I know you and Christian don't like it. Technically, per the NCAA, they won a national championship. They've been a national brand. Uh, Houston, you're talking about a Heisman Trophy winner with Andre Ware. You're talking about you know a number of players to the NFL. Cincinnati in the top ten right now. You think about BYU, uh, Heisman Trophy national championship there. So those are programs with a lot of tradition. But yeah, I think I I I think UCF is one of those teams where they've earned the benefit of the doubt. But what's interesting about this matchup is so is Boise State. You know when you see these two teams, these are two of if not the two over the last decade kind of tone setters for G5 football. I think this is a just an awesome game. And uh, Central Florida dealing with the potential of moving to the Big 12. But I think they have high expectations for this year to try to get into the New Year's Six. Remember, Gus Malzahn, this is his debut with the Knights. And you think about Dylan Gabriel, one of the most proficient quarterbacks in the country. So I think this is a fun matchup given the, the history and kind of what these two programs have meant for college football. Certainly, we'll get to some picks coming up uh, in the next hour. You've got uh, Coastal Carolina. I know you've been a big fan of them against the Citadel, kind of a tune-up game for them. But they are one of those programs, BJ, walking the the tightrope here because their schedule. I, depending on who you look at, I, I believe at best on some of these strength of schedule rankings might be like 125 out of 130 teams. Uh, we've seen some as low as like 128, 129 in terms of strength of schedule. So they've got to win. They've got to win impressively, and it obviously starts tonight for them. 
Well, and I think the spotlight is on Coastal Carolina, right, where it became a national, you know, a national name a year ago in the game against BYU, and there was some talk late. Should they get consideration as a college football playoff team? And now you enter the season with expectations. You're ranked in the preseason top 25, and I think a couple of years ago, most college football fans didn't know much about Coastal Carolina. So talking about Grayson McCall, Isaiah Likely, uh, just, just big-time players all over the field, and I think against the Citadel tonight, uh, Citadel runs that option offense, so that's always a challenge. But I think Coastal Carolina feels like this is a game they should win, and you look ahead, I think they have Kansas coming up. Uh, but Coastal Carolina now has to do it as a team that's in the national top 25 and is being talked about around the country. Yeah, different when you are kind of got the eyeballs on you uh, versus when you're just trying to go out there. I mean, because as we've talked about, BJ, coaches love to play the us versus the world. Nobody thinks we can do it card. Uh, now I don't know that's if that's the case for them. They're going to have some uh, folks looking to take them down, uh, especially when they get the Sunbelt play here in 2021. One that I think is very interesting, kind of the precursor to Georgia-Clemson because it's in Charlotte, neutral site game, and that's App State against East Carolina. I, I think probably one of the more underrated games you're going to see. I know East Carolina was not – that great last year, but they've been kind of a solid mid-major type program. Uh, and obviously App State has been very good uh, over the the last handful of years since moving up into the Sun Belt. So interesting kind of, I would call it off the radar game tonight uh, between those two teams. And that is in Charlotte, as you mentioned. And I think if you're Appalachian State, uh, you're looking around the Sun Belt going, okay, we know about Coastal Carolina. We know about Louisiana. We respect those programs. But but look where we are. You know, they've been one of the most consistent teams in the G5 uh, since moving up from the SOCON and the FCS level. And App State has Chase Bryce in at quarterback, uh, who was at Clemson behind Trevor Lawrence, then was at Duke last year. And I think this is a really good team. I think this is a team that probably believes they should be ranked in the preseason top 25. They'll get those opportunities. Of course, Georgia Southern, as we talked with Jason Foster about at the end of the year. And then you look in Coastal Carolina, that's going to be a matchup. It's one of the showcase games in the Sun Belt. But is App State still one of the top teams in the league? They absolutely are. And I think they probably feel like they should be getting some preseason top 25 attention. Uh, certainly, and again, we'll see how they fare tonight in just a host of great games. Uh, we'll see Tennessee in action tonight, Ohio State, BJ called it, going to go take the L tonight against <laughs> Minnesota. Uh, but we'll, we'll all, right, all right, now, now, now hold on. If it happens, if it happens, you need to come in here and say the same thing. BJ, you called it. So if it happens, you will own up to saying they could possibly maybe. I got you. No, it's fine. I would be doing the same thing. Like, if you say it, even if it was half-heartedly, you'll be in here tomorrow saying, I called it. I got it. I, I I got it. We'll get to some picks. We'll make. I'm DJ not saying I called it. You're saying I called it. So <laughs> I see. I'm I'm good for tomorrow because if if Minnesota loses or gets blown out, I say, look, man, I said could, but if they but if they win, you said it for me, so I can come in and say I told you, man, I told you they were going to upset Ohio State. I'm just saying it's a season opening game on the road with a new quarterback against a good team in conference. Do you not agree that those are at least some of the ingredients sure. of a potential close game? And now that you and I have both said that, it'll probably be 53 to 10. Uh, at the end of the day. But well, again, we'll see. Should be an interesting matchup in the Big Ten tonight to kind of help get the uh, the opening week of college football underway. We'll get to some picks when we come back because we do have football obviously going on tonight, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. Normally that's not necessarily the case with this many games on a Thursday night or, or a Friday night for that matter. We'll get to some of those picks uh, when we come back. Also, Sean Quinn will join us in the final hour of the program. I know uh, they are opening up against Valdosta State, BJ, so we'll look to talk to uh, to him about his team uh, and their opener, it's been a while since they've played a season. They get a couple of games in in the spring, but 
kind of looking ahead now at the, uh, the full season. And also Mike Griffith of Dog Nation will join us coming up in the final hour. We'll look at the very latest with Georgia. Uh, BJ ahead of their showdown with Clemson. And, uh, again, that is one that the, the hype is building by the minute, by the second, uh, leading up to Saturday. Yeah, and really excited for that one. Really excited for Savannah State, Valdosta State. That's going to be awesome and uh, happy that those guys get a chance to go out and and compete. But feels like we've been talking about Georgia-Clemson for so long, I kind of feel like it's already happened. I'm like, oh, oh, the Georgia-Clemson game. Yeah, that. no, it's coming up Saturday night and uh, going to be a big one for sure. It's like waiting on Christmas with your children. Has it happened? Nope, nope, still got a little bit longer. It's almost here. Just be patient. We've got another hour to go here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. Mike Griffith will join us final hour. Sean Quinn joins us in the final hour of the program as well. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, or you can catch us Facebook. Great to be here, final hour. 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network as we look at a host of games coming up this weekend. BJ, we're going to get your picks. We'll get my picks as well. Uh, as we head into the weekend, just overloaded with college football all weekend long. Let's start with one, Boise State and Central Florida. Central Florida, a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Two really good programs, two really good teams, as we've talked about. Now, Boise State, new coaching staff. You talk about UCF, new coaching staff. So maybe some unknowns there. I think some of that balances out. Uh, I, you know, probably would pick UCF to win straight up. But if you're giving me almost a touchdown, six and a half points, I will take Boise State. I think both teams are relatively even against similar circumstances. I understand it's in Orlando, but uh, I this should be a great football game, by the way. But I will take Boise State with the points. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Again, I think you got Ohio State, Minnesota out there, some other ones, but. Uh, Boise State, Central Florida, one you don't want to uh, overlook. Give me uh, Central Florida. I will take them laying the six and a half. North Carolina and Virginia Tech. North Carolina, a four and a half point favorite in this one. Yeah, and of course the factor here is that you're playing on a Friday night primetime in Blacksburg, Lane Stadium, one of the most electric atmospheres in all of college football, one of the toughest places to play in all of college football. But I will say this. If everybody's saying, hey, North Carolina's a top-10 team, maybe could be in the mix for, for playoff consideration. Could they beat Clemson if they match up in the ACC championship? If you're telling me you have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the country in Sam Howell, even though it's tough and even though it's a really difficult place to play, I think you have to find a way to win this one. And I think if you win it, you know, I, it, it's not unreasonable to think they could win by seven, ten points and even – Maybe the game's a lot closer than that throughout. I have no doubt Virginia Tech will be fired up. But if this team and this quarterback are as good as we think they are, I think they win and they cover. So give me North Carolina. Yeah, I think uh, North Carolina, to me, is the team everybody's looking at in the ACC to say, are they legit? And you can get uh, big points for that by going on the road and getting a win over Virginia Tech. I think Sam Howell, uh, again, has Got the mojo behind him. A lot of people say maybe a dark horse Heisman candidate. Uh, Give me North Carolina even laying the points. And uh, for the four and a half, I will take them to win. Interesting game coming up. We'll we'll have it for you uh, Saturday, 1130 with uh, the coverage. Penn State at Wisconsin. Top 20 matchup out of the Big Ten. And I'm surprised that, that 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 Penn State's getting five and a half. I understand Wisconsin is, uh, you know, higher in the polls by a slim margin, but I think you're going to have a defense-dominated game, low scoring. 
Uh, could be a game that's somewhere like 17-13 in the fourth quarter. Uh, so Penn State having to win uh, in, in Madison is tough, but I, I, I do think it'll be close. I like Penn State if you're giving me five and a half points, Kevin. I like Penn State to win straight up, but I certainly like them if you're going to give me five and a half on, on top of that. I really think Penn State's got something special uh, there in store this year. I thought last year, I said it all last year, was kind of an abomination where they had some bad things happen early, and I think just the attitude, the the minimum, the, the, the mental aspect of the team just kind of went away as the season went on and things continued to go south. Certainly that's going to happen in a COVID year like they had last year. I think this team is better. Give me Penn State. I like them to win straight up, but I'll take the five and a half if you're going to give it to me. Army is at Georgia State. Georgia State, two points, uh, the favorite here in this one. I expect this to be a really good game, a, a, a really good game. And I was in Atlanta a couple of years ago when they played 28-21 and Georgia State won that one, some turnovers late. I think early in the season, uh, especially maybe having that running game at Army, that option might be an advantage. But I think this is going to be a fun game. Georgia State is a team to watch. But I will take Army. Wouldn't be surprised at any outcome, but I will take Army. Yeah, I'm going to take Georgia State minus the two because it's at home. I think uh, Army, very good team. I'll probably feel bad about this pick uh, come Saturday night uh, when it's all said and done. But I will take Georgia State minus the two uh, at home, beating Army, which would be a big win for the Panthers to get their season started. Here's where here's one that gets tricky, BJ. Number one Alabama against number fourteen Miami. This one is in Atlanta. Bama giving. 19 and a half. So Miami getting nearly three touchdowns in this one. Where do you go? And that feels like a lot, right? You're talking about a top 15 Miami team. It's not in Tuscaloosa. It's in Atlanta. And Alabama's laying 19 and a half. Uh, it, first glance, you think, oh, Miami for sure. And I want to I want to be, be clear here. I don't think Miami's going to lose this game in a fashion where it's, you know, 20 to zero, then 28 to seven, then 35 to 10, then four. I think this is going to be fairly close for a while. Miami's really good. And De'Eric King is a star. And I, I think you have a good team that is capable of playing with Alabama. But what does playing with Alabama mean? I mean, you go back to last year, the team that was the first team out of the college football playoff, Texas A&M, lost to Alabama by 28 points. And they were the first team out of the playoff. Now, I understand new players for Alabama, some changes, but I, I, I'm going to take Alabama even laying the points. But, but the situation I'm seeing is, you know, maybe it's maybe it's 38, you know, 23 in the fourth quarter or something like that. It's been relatively competitive, and Alabama gets a late touchdown. I think this game's going to be compelling for a while, but just given what Alabama's done on the big stage, uh, in the playoff against the top teams in the SEC, until I see something else, I got to go with Alabama. Yeah, I will lay nineteen and a half. That's I feel bad. Like that's one of those on the on the face, BJ. You're like, I'm just going to give up nineteen and a half points. But yeah, it's Alabama uh, again. If it's a two touchdown game and Alabama tacks one on in the fourth quarter, you win. I'm going to go Alabama minus nineteen and a half in this one as well. Louisiana and Texas in Austin, twenty three versus number twenty one. Texas though, an eight point favorite at home over the Raging Cajuns. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised at that. I'm, I'm, I'm taking Louisiana. I think that what they did in Ames against Iowa State last season will only give them extra confidence in this game. And Louisiana is one of those teams stylistically where even if you beat them, they normally don't get blown out because they're going to run the football. And they have a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes. So you think about Louisiana being really good along the offensive line, having, a, I believe, a fifth-year senior 
at, at quarterback in Levi Lewis. I don't think the stage is going to be too much. I think they're going to kind of limit the volatility of a game where you might have a traditional kind of Big 12, throw it all over the place kind of contest. I'm surprised at that line. I will take Louisiana and feel very good about it. I think they expect to win, too. I think that's the difference. Sometimes, like, hey, man, I think we can pull the, the upset. No, they think they can win the game. I'm going to go Louisiana lay the eight as well. Uh, you said don't even call it an upset if it happens. New regime there for Texas could be ripe for uh, Louisiana to get that win. LSU at UCLA. LSU laying three points on the road. LSU number 16, UCLA coming off having played already and a big win over Hawaii last week. Yeah, and obviously our thoughts and prayers with the folks in Louisiana. You know, when you think about the Raging Cages and the Tigers, what they're uh, what they've dealt with, and uh, you know, obviously had to had to see and uh, you know overcome this week. But I I think I think LSU wins this game. Uh, I, I I feel good laying the three. You know, UCLA did look really good against Hawaii. They did, but I think that's a different type opponent going from a Hawaii to, to, uh, to uh, LSU, and I think LSU along the defensive line is a lot better than people think. They have a lot of experience back along the offensive line. This is a big game for Chip Kelly and UCLA. I don't know how many of those they've had, whereas big games, you know, spotlight environments are a regular thing for LSU. I will, I will take LSU and, uh, and lay the three points. Teams improve the most. They say what? Week one to week two. How much does having played a game, even if it was against Hawaii, help UCLA out? What happened week one last year with LSU, BJ? You, you they, got Mike Leach. That they, guy they, didn't they, give they, up 800 they, yards of offense they, or whatever they, it was. They came I, out and laid so an egg. UCLA? They came out and laid an egg. Talk of Jimbo getting $9 million because they're worried there might be an opening at LSU at the end of the year. I'm taking UCLA. Give me three points. I'm taking UCLA there on the West Coast. Notre Dame, number nine at Florida State in Tallahassee. Obviously, Bobby Bowden uh, going to be all over that stadium. Probably an emotional uh, scene there in Tallahassee as they kind of uh, unveil all the tributes to Bobby Bowden. First home game, obviously, there since all that happened. Seven and a half point favorite is Notre Dame going in this game. This one, a Sunday night game in Tallahassee. This is really hard to get a feel for. I mean, it really is because, you know, not only is it a Sunday night, you know, the emotion you reference with with Coach Bowden, you think about, you know, two programs that, that know each other fairly well, played last season, and it was competitive for a while in South Bend. But I think Florida State's hard to, to, to kind of pick because so much of their team has come via the transfer portal. And you have a lot of young, talented players, of course, but is it going to be McKenzie Milton? Is it going to be Jordan Travis? Uh, your defense has – five or six transfers that are going to start. Uh, still, a, still a young team largely, and I think Notre Dame, even though they have to replace a lot, including Ian Book, has been effective and been comfortable in these type atmospheres more than Florida State. I think this game is going to be close and competitive. I do, but you're only talking about a touchdown plus. So, I mean, it could be a three-point game, like you said, and then a touchdown. I think there are just so many questions for Florida State. Nothing would surprise me. I would not be surprised if Florida State wins, but I think there are more questions with Florida State, more answers with Notre Dame. I will take Notre Dame and lay the points. 100% agree with that assessment. More questions then answers. The other team, more answers than questions. I will take Notre Dame and lay the seven and a half there, even though it's in a very hostile place to play in Doak Campbell Stadium. Monday night in Atlanta, Ole Miss and Louisville. Very solid game. Again, one that's not getting talked about very much, BJ, uh, here in this opening weekend of college football. Ole Miss laying 10 to the Cardinals. 
that feels like a lot, doesn't it? I mean, when you first see that, you're like, wait a second. You know, Louisville now, now Louisville had a bit of a disappointing season. You do bring back uh, uh, Malik Cunningham, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think defensively, you got to take some steps forward. I, I think this line is about Matt Corral. You know, you think about Lane Kiffin, Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, Matt Corral, that offense, uh, Jerry on Ely last year, put up what, like 50 against Alabama, put up 40 against Florida. Uh, you saw Matt Corral. I mean, they put up 40 in a game where Matt Corral threw five picks, I think, against LSU. So I think this offense is going to score. Uh, both teams are looking for major improvement defensively. I think I would take the over, whatever that is. But I think this line's about Matt Corral. And I think, I, I think I'm think i okay with it. I think I will lay the 10 points and take Ole Miss. I'm sorry. You, you're, you're, you're picking this one to me is all about do you think Louisville can score? If you think they can score and win in a shootout, you go with it. Uh, and can they outscore Ole Miss? Ten makes me a little nervous because, again, everybody's like, Ole Miss defense going to be better. I'm going to take Louisville giving me ten. I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they're going to win. But I do think you're looking at like a 49-42 type ball game. And if that's the case, I win. Give me, give me my money. Give me my money. I, I covered the spread. I think Louisville covers, but they don't win on Monday night. That brings us to Saturday night, Clemson and Georgia. Clemson number three, Georgia number five. Clemson laying three points. This is not in Clemson. It's in Charlotte. Neutral site game. Who you got, BJ? About ready for this one. Uh, and and we're all excited and for good reason. The defensive lines, the quarterbacks in this game, they competed against each other in high school. Clemson being that standard. They've made a half dozen consecutive playoff appearances. Georgia trying to kind of be affirmed on that same level. Uh, and, and in Charlotte, it's going to be awesome. I, I wrote a preview on southernpigskin.com, made my pick. I picked Clemson by four, so I think I got to go with that and stick with it. I'm going to take Clemson, and I think this is going to be a great ball game. I think this is going to be competitive. I think it's going to be fascinating football at the line of scrimmage. So many great players on both offensive and defensive lines. I think I think Clemson you know, is a little more accustomed to kind of playing with the expectations and the hype. And think about this, too. Uh, Clemson lost in a fairly convincing fashion in their last game. It's hard for me to to envision a program like Clemson with the expectations they have losing two games in a row. When's the last time that's happened, even from season to season? So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. No outcome would surprise me. Georgia can clearly win. But given that I took Clemson by four in my preview, I will take Clemson and lay the points. Fair assessment, given the schedule they have remaining, Georgia wants this game. Clemson needs this game. Is that fair? Uh, to kind of validate themselves the rest of the way. I think this is going to be back and forth. It is going to be the game that everybody thought it was going to be. I, I Again, usually you start overhyping stuff. It's uh, the greatest opener of all time. Alabama whacks the floor with Florida State. Uh, you, you get some of these games that are overhyped and they don't deliver. I think this one's going to deliver. At the end of the day, I think Clemson needs it a little bit more. And I'm going to take them. Man, if, if I could push, I would. Uh, but if I if I have to do it, Clemson minus a three. I think it's going to be a three point ball game or so. I will take Clemson minus three in that ball game. It's going to be just, I mean, that'll be one of those where where BJ about five o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. I'm going to sit there and go, is it's still not seven thirty yet? Like, come on, <laughs> I'm going to get here already. Uh, at the end of the day, that's just our quick look at our picks. We've got more to come. Radio Network, Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. Glad you are making us a part of your day. College football is back uh, this weekend. Our next guest, probably one of the most excited folks to, to be able to say that. He's the head football coach, Savannah State Tigers. Sean Quinn joins us. Coach, welcome. How are you? 
I'm doing good, guys. How about you guys? Hey. Everybody doing good this morning, afternoon, whatever time of day, year it is. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, ready, ready to go. I got my uh, Booyah shirt on, and I've got my uh, Holy City Angels of uh, Charleston. So I got the minor league theme going this afternoon. So I'm just a minor league coach in a JV squad, and we're just getting ready to play a varsity team. So. <laughs> Well, so. Coach, how's the preparation? Because, again, I know in the spring you played a couple of games where it's like, hey, let's try to go and make it happen. This is actually, you know, schedule. You're working towards it, working towards it. Has this been a, a different feel? And what's the uh, kind of the atmosphere now amongst your team knowing like, hey, this is – all right, the schedule's here. We're actually going to play this thing uh, here in 20, uh, 2021 and, and get, it all, get it all in here. Well, you know, it's like for real. It's like uh... – you know, you go play golf and you get mulligans at somebody's tournament to raise money, and then you actually got to go play for real and you don't have mulligans. So, uh, you know, it's been good. I mean, it's been a challenge to say the least, and, and every year is a challenge. And it's, we got a new team, a lot of young players, and uh, it's been good. The guys know that we have a quality opponent and uh, somebody that's won a lot of games and who we're trying to emulate from a, a athletic department and a program. And in the Division Two world, they're uh, Clemson or Alabama, and you know, obviously some point we'd like to be in that stratosphere and we're just you know we're still learning how to win and they've got a, a long-standing tradition of winning there so um it'll be interesting it'll be fun great atmosphere and uh quality guy opponent so it's been good preparation to this point what's the momentum like uh you guys as kevin said getting to practice getting to prepare for an actual opponent you know a big showcase game uh what's this week been like and what's the excitement level like i think the guys are really excited i think they're tired of hitting each other you know we've been on like ad nauseum for two years hitting each other we've had very little interaction with anybody else so i think they're excited to play somebody else and and you just uh you know get into the season and uh you know we got a really tough schedule starting with obviously the you know as good a team in, in division two so but they've been excited man and uh their enthusiasm keeps you going because you know there's been a lot of crazy stuff out there in the world going on and so uh to get out i the my favorite part of the day is when I go out to that football field and get to work with the guys and then riding the causeway home late at night. And then I just enjoy the players there. In fact, a couple more just in here visiting with me and it just, they're just fun bunch to be around and they, they keep you young. That's for sure. Does it feel like game week finally for you? I know, I know there's been a feel to it uh, for, you know, working in the spring, and all, but does it finally feel like game week with the preparations you guys are doing with obviously installing and making sure your guys know what the game plan is for Saturday? Yeah, it is. Uh, definitely. You know, Thursdays is a kind of a light day. Actually, we're a little bit like Oregon. Fridays is a heavier day for us. So today was a good, you know, solid day. And uh, it's closer and closer. You know, everybody says, are you ready to play? And I said, nope, we won't be ready till 7 p.m. on Saturday. We'll right up until then. We'll still got work to be done. And uh, as a football coach, especially on defense, on offense, I said, they all they got to do is punt. If worse comes to worse on defense, it's a whole different ball of yarn. So, um you know, as a head coach, too, there's just a lot of other hats we're wearing and uh, try to make sure the guys are fed right, hydrated right, get enough sleep, doing their schoolwork. And uh, so it's a challenge every day, but I really enjoy it. And, and obviously, um, you know, Valdosta State, like I said, they're the gold standard and, and we're we're trying to get to a point where we can be competitive with teams like that. Coach, talk about uh, D'Angelo Durham and uh, what your expectations are for him this season. You know, to run the heck out of the football, run like a scalded dog, a runaway train, whatever the word you want to use, and and run like the wind. You know, I grew up in the, and I don't want to date myself too much here, late 80s, early 90s, and there was a guy named Eric Dickerson who had that kind of that high running style with the high knees. And, uh, you know, D'Angelo reminds me of Eric Dickerson. He's, and he, he likes to think he's even better looking than Eric Dickerson was. But, uh, you know, he runs really good, and I expect him to run the heck out of the football. And, you know, with anything, though, 
we're going to have to have a bunch of guys play tailback just like we do at every position because he can't shoulder the load the entire season. And uh, we've got some other good running backs. And so, but he's a leader in the clubhouse. He's a leader in the locker room and he does a great job on the field. And I, I, I think, you know, we'll see where the cards fall, but if he has the kind of year, you know, this, he's a lot of attention. NFL teams have, have come in here and he has the measurables. They like his film. You know, he's got to have a great year, of course, but uh, I think he'll have a chance to be a guy who'll be highly considered if he has the kind of year that he and I envision. Um, but, you know, he's got to stay healthy and he's got to get better. He's not there yet by any means. Sean Quinn joining us here, head football coach at Savannah State. Coach, you know you're a, you're a defensive guy. How do you uh, slow down Valdosta State? I know as a spread team last year they pl- or last time they played, uh, they were ten and zero regular season, lost in the playoffs. But uh, I was reading something about it today. They haven't played a game in six hundred and some odd days. But how do you uh, how do you attack that team offensively with what they like to do with that air raid? Well, you got first of all, you got to try to somehow make them one dimensional. They actually run the ball much better than people realize, and that's really a strength of theirs. Um, is stopping the run and then create some turnovers. You got to do that. I mean, uh, any good team you play, if you're going to have opportunity to win, you got to win the turnover battle. And, you know, that's not glitzy. That's not glam. It's not RPOs. It's not something, you know, that uh, Kirk Herbstreet's saying on ESPN that's going to win. It's Those are the tried and true things. And I, I know Kirk would probably say the same thing. Um, but the turnover margin, um, you know, Jesse Palmer may want to RPO everybody, but just winning the turnover margin and, and – uh, trying to make sure you can defend the run and then limit the big plays. And, and for us, it's going to be a huge crowd. It's a loud place. The stadium's right on you. we got to sustain early and take – well, they'll, they'll try to hit us with some shots and get the crowd into it, and we got to do a good job early on of just staying steady and playing good football and make it a four-quarter game because, uh, you know, a lot of their games are out of hand at halftime, and that's kind of generally their MO. They blow people out at halftime. They've got everybody. They've emptied the benches. So we got to somehow get this thing in the fourth quarter and, and see what happens. Are there elements of the game that are that are more important, that are more impactful when it's game one and there are some unknowns? Are there parts of kind of the game that that, that mean more in, in week one than maybe later in the season? Yeah, I just think for me, and I think as a coach, how are your new players going to react when the lights are on? Because we are counting on a lot of new guys, even though we've got some veteran group group of guys coming back we've got a lot of guys in the two deep have never played a snap before how are they going to react uh when the lights come on and it's for real like we've got a young guy from a local player jordan clark from richmond hill he's had a phenomenal camp been a heck of a player for us i think he's going to be a gamer but you know when we get out there and the crowd and everything gets going and he gets hit how's he going to react and is he going to you know play at the same level and to me that's the biggest thing and then the second part of that would be how much we can improve from week one to week two, because there'll be some mistakes that we got to get corrected and some things we got to get better at. Um, you know, and this thing's kind of a build up to the end of the year. Each week you want to keep getting better. But for me, just how do the new players react under under fire? And then how do the you know, how how much better can we continue to get uh, each and every week? I've seen us improve in camp and we still got a long way to go. Sean Quinn joining us here on 3 Now. Coach Christian said you had a little something for me. I know you've been trying to play this game. for. T- I feel like you and I have been talking about this for two years, uh, probably literally, uh, trying to play this game. But uh, he said, hey, you want to – I am the VSU alum. Look, I've, I've played it right down the middle with you. But, uh, I appreciate what, that. What you, what, what, what you got? Well, I, we've been talking about this game about as long as we have. It was Christian finally getting a date, hopefully. So, I mean, it's been two years of that and two years of this. So – but, uh, you know, you got bragging rights, man. We're just, uh, you know, like I said, we're junior varsity and we're trying to get to be a varsity team like those guys. And, uh, you know, I got nothing but respect for Gary and the staff down there. So I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not one to, to uh, 
chum the waters and say anything about an opponent. I, I have been known to say a thing or two to the other head coach during a game or in warmups, but that's a whole nother uh, dumb Irish move that I made. Do. But, uh, <laughs> these guys I got a lot of respect for. And uh, there was a coach real quickly, two years ago, we played in our league that he and I didn't exchange Christmas cards. We exchanged some short letter vocab words to each other, but no Christmas <laughs> cards. So, um, but uh, I, you know, for me, I mean, I'm excited just to see where we're at and, and I know we got a long way to go. Um, but I think when we, when it's all said and done, hopefully when this season ends, we'll say, Hey man, we got a lot out of this football team and it's just good. And just in general, I think people are sick of all the other stuff that's been going on and just want to go watch a ball game, see college football on a Saturday tailgate. And I'm excited for people to get to do that. I'm excited for our fans, their fans, for just college football in general to get going and have a real season again with fans in the stands and, you know, the way it's supposed to be in the fall. So I think if you talk to every coach in America, they're just excited about that. And I'm, I'm going to be just really humble on this one because, bro, you, you got the airwaves and I'm just I'm just over here trying to get together and get a stop on fourth down. <laughs> no, man, so. no, man. Look, I, I, I get it. I, I, want, I want you guys to do well, obviously. I mean, we have you on all the time. So I, I'm excited to see. What, what is you... your definition of well? I'm, I'm curious. Well, what is your what definition is. of well? Well, always you want to win, you know. If we're playing cards, I want to take all the money in your pocket. So no, no, I just I, did. You know, everybody's got a different definition. We're not. This isn't like t-ball where everybody sure. gets a trophy. There's a winner and loser in this thing. So you always want to come out in the winning side each and every week, regardless of who you play. Well, look, I, uh, so. just just from my standpoint, I will say this. Look, obviously, it's a tough matchup for for you guys because you're playing a team that is. Obviously, got they play in a place called Title Town for crying out loud, uh, you know. But yeah. they got a new quarterback uh, that that's going to play. Uh, so be interesting to see kind of how he does. I know, as you said, they. I think that is kind of the misnomer. Back when I was there, and Chris Hatcher was bringing the air raid in, he said, "Look, why is, everybody says we throw it around." And, you know, he had Dusty Bonner at the time, and rightfully so. But he's like, we run the ball too. And uh, reading up on it, they got two kids that you know have run for a thousand yards. Uh, in a season before, so obviously I think that'll be a, be a challenge for you. But you're also playing a team that yeah. hadn't played in two years, man. So I was like, there. You, I know you've talked about Rust and just going out and played. This team hadn't played in th- 600 some odd days, so I think that might be an advantage for you because all they've played is against each other for for two years. Yeah. What office are you running for, by the way? I was getting ready to endorse <laughs> you there with your answer, but uh, all joking aside, no, it. Uh, they're going to be good. It'll be a good challenge, man. And that's why you get in coaching. You don't want to go uh, play people that aren't very good. And each week you want to play the best teams you can get on your schedule. And uh, I know when I was at Tennessee and LSU, I always enjoyed going and playing the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world and those type of folks. So it's the same thing. You get enjoy the opportunity to go compete um, and find, see how good we can be. So it'd be fun, man. And it'll be hopefully our fans will show up and we'll have a great crowd and uh It'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully, next week we can have some more laughs about this, and you and I will still be on speaking terms. Hey, hey I'm. So. I will always talk to you. Pull off the upset, Coach. Uh, I would love to see if if it happens. Hey, I'll, we're going to have you on the show, and you can let me have it either way. <laughs> I'm telling you what, it's fine. No, 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 no. I, we're excited to play, and uh, I'll leave it at that. And uh, I appreciate what you guys have done for us, man. You've given us a lot of opportunity to talk about our team and just what we're doing here, and man, that means the world to us. And you know, folks out there, we just want to make Savannah people proud and get our program back on the map and, you know, eventually get to this thing where we can be one of the top teams in Division Two. we got a long way to go. We're like a, riding a bike. we got training wheels right now. But eventually we'll get where we can hold the handlebars and mom won't have to be behind us while we ride. <laughs> so, but uh, we're, we're getting there hey, step we, by step. Hey, we appreciate you coming on, Coach. Thanks so much. And uh, best of luck, seriously, uh, to you guys on, on Saturday. And I always, always enjoy having you on and talking to you. 
You too, guys. A lot of fun. Appreciate you guys. Go Tigers. We'll see you soon. Appreciate it. Sean Quinn joining us here on uh, 3 and Out as they have Valdosta State coming up on Saturday there in Valdosta. And, again, I know that will be two programs just excited about playing, man. It's, uh, he's played a couple of games in the spring. And as I said, uh, reading up about this game, uh, Valdosta hasn't played for two years, and their last game was a loss in the playoffs. So, uh, obviously, there's been a two-year bitter taste in their mouth as well. So, should be a good one there on Saturday night. We got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. On three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, we'll look to chat with Mike Griffith very shortly uh, here on the program. Kind of ran over there with Sean Quinn, but that's fine. I always uh, enjoy talking football with him. Braves tonight in Colorado looking to bounce back. No help uh, by the Washington Nationals, who were winning by three earlier today and lost it in the eighth inning uh, to the Phillies. So the Phillies get a half game back on the Braves there as well. So you need some good baseball uh, coming up. Braves did say, BJ, not going to pitch Drew Smiley in Colorado, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, Tuki Toussaint goes tonight. He's really done a nice job. Uh, a 3-6-0 ERA. Now, he's had a couple of innings where it's gotten away from him, but I think he's helped stabilize the back end of the rotation. Big start tonight, especially given what Philadelphia's doing. And I, I ruined that. I thought it was a doubleheader seven inning. So I sent you a message in the chat at, at the end of the seventh and said, oh, man, the Nationals beat the th-. – nope. I, no. <laughs> so that's on me. But I think that uh, I think that you want to keep the ball down, right? That's always – key but when you're playing in Denver you want to keep the ball down and uh if you can hold the Rockies to a couple of runs I mean their their pitching has not been very good I think the Braves will be in a good spot we're talking Georgia football and we come back with Mike Griffith of Dog Nation he steps in next here on three and out Georgia and Clemson it's almost here coming up Saturday night in Charlotte joining us here to help break it down and more from Dog Nation Mike Griffith joins us here on three and out Mike welcome to the show how are you Doing great, guys. How are you? Doing fantastic. I know uh, a lot of folks were talking earlier about the, uh, the, the the contact tracing around the Georgia program after Ron Corson tested positive. What can you tell us about that? Is that of any concern uh, for Georgia with uh, a fairly high vaccination rate at this point? Well, I mean, there's always concern anytime there's a possibility you can lose anybody on your team, and it's just such an unknown. It's, it's not like the NFL. We don't have an injury report or an availability report. So, so yeah, there are some concerns. Um, but uh, I've been told JT Daniels is one guy that is vaccinated, so you know the quarterback will be there, and he's probably the most important person on the team. Uh, But there's obviously concerns. I mean, look, guys, uh, we can't stick our head in the sand. You know, we're we're living in a COVID world, and, um, you know, it can happen to anybody. It can happen to football players, head trainers, uh, parents, children. Uh, You know, this is a time we have to just be very careful and respectful of one another. And uh, To me, this isn't a political issue. It's a scientific issue, but... I'll leave that one to the experts, as they say. Uh, from an availability standpoint, I think knowing that Tyke Smith, the uh, the safety, or the star, I should say, the extra defensive back, him being out, that's big, big news. Um, we've known that for a while. Darnell Washington, impact player at tight end, uh, another big absence for Georgia. Uh, but there is some talk about Clemson perhaps having a defensive tackle with COVID issues. Uh, Dabo wouldn't answer that question last night. Unfortunate, though, we got to talk about this whole COVID thing, but it is, it's an ugly thing that's still plaguing our society. And, Mike, you look ahead to the game on Saturday night. I mean, where do you begin when you try to break it all down? What, what must Georgia do if they're going to win Saturday night? Well, I think it's which team can get the most balance, you know, with the run game. And, you know, I do think Clemson has the potential to be more explosive and, and take advantage of those young uh, Georgia cornerbacks. 
they have some big, tall, long receivers. But then again, Georgia has a ferocious pass rush, and uh, DJ Uyagalele has not seen a pass rush like this, nor has he been in a game like this. So, um, But to me, I, I, the reason I like Georgia to win this game is because I think Georgia's going to be able to run the ball. I think everybody's forgotten that Trey Sermon ran for 191 yards for the Ohio State last year. And, uh, you know, Clemson brings everybody back, but if it's the same guys that gave up 190 yards rushing to one player and 254 in the game, uh, that, that may not be such a bad thing. So I, I think Georgia's ability to have balance is going to make a difference in this game, uh, whereas I think Clemson's going to be more one-dimensional, rely more on those screens, getting the ball outside, and then it's going to be up to the Georgia defense to make plays in space. Mike, when you talk about the Clemson run game, how much does uh, Georgia expect DJ Uyunglele to be a part of the running game? I know he's big, but he's still known for having a strong arm. How much do they expect to see him kind of as a part of the run game? Probably not much, considering it's the first game of the season and Clemson could lose this and and still win a national title. And I, as I said, I think the focus for both of these teams is going to be keeping their quarterback upright. Um, DJ's got decent mobility, but but he's not Justin Fields. Um, he's not a guy that's that's going to run for 50 or 60 yards a game. Um, so, you know, I think the real key is is DJ's ability to get the ball out in space, uh, screen passes, little RPO game, uh, and George is going to challenge that with pressure. And, again, comes down to that open field. Guys like Lewis Seen, guys like Latavius Greeny, uh, N'Kobe Deans, Quay Walkers, uh, we're going to find out uh, if these guys are future NFL stars. Georgia's offensive line, uh, is there a settled depth chart or are there still a couple of spots where there are some unknowns uh, entering the weekend? We may have lost Mike Griffith uh, there uh, on the program as we were talking uh, Georgia Clemson uh, with him. We'll try to see if we can get him back uh, here in just a couple of moments uh, on the show as we may just have a little bit of a technical hookup uh, with him. But your thoughts there, BJ, if it's not settled, how concerning is that for Georgia? Well, I think it's a really good group. You know, you're kind of waiting and seeing with uh, Warren Erickson, I believe, to a certain extent. But I think it's a really good offensive line. And I think Mike's right when you talk about the matchup of Georgia's offensive line, Clemson's defensive line. Whoever wins there is 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 really going to have the advantage in terms of dictating tempo and having that offensive balance Mike was talking about. Because that is going to be key for all the talk of could we see, you know, JT and DJ both throw for 400 yards? Maybe, but you're going to have to run the ball, especially in the red zone. So I think what we see at the line of scrimmage is going to really go a long way towards determining who wins. And certainly you talked about DJU in the in the run game. How much do you look at that? Not maybe a mobile guy, but a guy that nevertheless, BJ is, you know, 240, 250 pounds. You get in short yardage situations could be certainly a factor. I think he can keep Georgia off balance, you know, and, and yeah, you're not going to see him run, you know, 15 times, but a couple of times maybe just to slow down that pass rush potentially, I think you could see that. But he's a, he's a very, very dynamic player. We've heard a couple of folks say, right, the strongest arm people at Clemson have ever ever seen. And you saw him throw for 439 yards, the most ever at Notre Dame Stadium uh, last year in that top five game. So the spotlight's going to be on the line of scrimmage, but also these two quarterbacks for sure. Uh, certainly. I believe uh, 
we will have Mike Griffith back here momentarily uh, here on the show. It looks like we may have reestablished uh, a line with him. And let me see if we can get him back up here on the show. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the show. When we lost you, we were asking about the, uh, the Georgia offensive line and if they're settled on, uh, on that depth chart there and they feel good about the, the five they're running out there, or is that going to be a game-time decision? Yeah, no, I think Cedric Van Pran is going to get his first start at center, and anytime a kid makes his first start, there's a question. But, you know, he was the number one uh, center in the nation in the 2020 class, and then he's flanked by Justin Schaefer, uh, one of those super seniors that got an extra year of eligibility via COVID. And on the other side, I believe Tate Ratledge, a really good, real good run blocker. We'll see how he does against the pass rush. Uh, right tackle Warren McClendon was a freshman All-American. Left tackle Jamari Salyer. Um, now, this, this line will get shaken up as the year goes on. Uh, as Broderick Jones and Amarius Mims grow into their roles and gain some experience. Uh, but I think that's the lineup you go with, and um, I, I think Kirby feels pretty good about it. A lot of talk about the quarterbacks, the uh, defensive fronts, obviously the offensive lines. Could special teams be a real asset for Georgia Saturday night? Could be an asset for either team. That's, it's always an intangible. Uh, you can get a spark out of that. You can get momentum out of that. Uh, I think Clemson is a team that could come from behind easier than Georgia could, again, because I think Clemson is uh, more dynamic on the perimeter. I think they have better wide receivers, and I think they have a better secondary than Georgia. That makes it a little bit harder for JT. I think JT Daniels has to rely more on a run, a play-action game, picking his spots. I think Clemson goes in knowing they're not going to generate any run game between the tackles, so they're going to use a screen game on the perimeter, high-percentage passes, to try to control the ball and neutralize the rush, and then they'll pick their spots to go downfield. Mike Griffith joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Mike, you look at the, kind of the hype and build up around this game, and maybe this is just the playoff era we're in, but interesting already kind of how the interpretation is of what it means for each team regardless of the outcome. How do you think that plays into this one where it's obviously a huge game that both teams want to win, but it may not necessarily be the end-all, be-all at the end of the day either way it goes? You're right. It's not. You know, the more important thing for both teams is to keep their quarterbacks healthy. Either one of these or both of these teams could lose this game and still run the, win, run the table and win the national title, provided that they keep their starting quarterback healthy. Conversely, if you win the game but lose your starting quarterback, uh, that could prevent you from winning a national title. So job number one for both of these teams is to keep their quarterbacks clean, and I think that's why it's going to be a little lower scoring game than maybe some people think. End of the day, so much hype, so much attention. Do you think this lives up to it and ends up being a you know a one-score game maybe that comes down to the finish? I do. I do because I think these are both great coaches. You know, These are two of the three winningest active coaches uh, when you look at winning percentages in college football. Right? Dabo's number one. He wins it over an 80% clip. Nick Saban's two. Uh, there's a coach at Buffalo that's three, uh, but, but Kirby's four. Right? So these are the three winningest active coaches power five coaches and for a reason really good staff uh, i really like clemson uh, i like their staff i like Dabo a lot i just feel like they're not going to be able to run the ball and i feel like georgia has the more experienced quarterback in jt daniels this is a guy he's got the scars to prove it he was out there at usc on not a very good team played in front of a hundred thousand in texas played notre dame he's been there and done it uh, back when he should have been a senior in high school and then even last year i mean Hey, he got beat up against Cincinnati and Mississippi State. Uh, so JT's shown you he can do it in the clutch under pressure. DJU, this is only his third start, so I give George an advantage there as well. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, our guest here on 3 Now. Mike, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. 
You bet, guys. Have a great weekend. Will do. And Mike Griffith joining us here, Georgia Clemson. Uh, BJ, we are almost there uh, to, uh, to, to get into this game and all about the quarterback play. And he says he thinks it's going to live up to the hype. And I think I mentioned earlier in the show, you hope a game like this does with as much talk about the great players, with what's potentially out there in front of both of these teams. Uh, you hope that it lives up to everything we've kind of built it up to be at this point. No, and I agree with Mike and, and, and you. I think it will. And it was a great point about the coaching staffs. Two great head coaches, two great coaching staffs. We've been looking forward to it, and I think it's going to live up to the hype on Saturday night. And again, appreciate Mike Griffith uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. We've got so much more to come uh, here on 3 and Out. A lot of football talk to, uh, to to speak to as we get ready for the first big weekend of college football. You've got Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Monday and Sunday and Monday. Uh, full of football, and we're going to break it all down for you here on 3 and Out. If you miss any portion of the show, ESPNCoastal.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, go to our YouTube page, uh, subscribe there, get all the notifications when we go live each day uh, for the show, and you can watch us online and, of course, get the archived version of 3 and Out there each and every day. We'll see you soon here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio